<sighs> I'm torpid. I don't know what that word means. Oh my God. I did the thing again. I did the thing <clears throat> where I didn't eat all day. And then I ate just now. And I had <laughs> probably a pound and a half of chow mein. I almost did that today. Oh, God, it hurts. Why do I do this? Uh, I, I, th- I feel like I lose an hour every afternoon. It changes. Sometimes I lose early afternoon. Sometimes I lose late afternoon. But it's just gone. I'm like, oh, my God, it's, it's 530. And it's am, like, ah. Am I asleep? Have I slept? You wonder. Do you get this? No, that's, a, that's a line from Fight Club. I'm just, oh, I'm just caseying you. Mm. I don't know whom you mean. Uh, that's one. <laughs> that's one of my. I like that line in the movie. <laughs> Caseying myself. No. Oh man, it's right there. I was looking tonight. No, excuse me. I was looking at my uh, my frequently uh, not frequently dialed my favorites on my phone. I never use my phone. For for a phone, I hardly ever look at it, and like most of the stuff in there, it's people that I haven't called in a year, and restaurants I don't even go to anymore. It's really weird. Yeah, I don't use mine as a phone either. Like the the only thing I ever do with my phone for phone calls is I don't even go to the favorites. I just go to the recents because at the top of the recents is my wife, and I just I just have I that over and over again. Totally. Or or I do voice dialing from the phone, where you just you know use the, the yeah it's talking this is the to Siri nobody. thing. Yeah. yeah, I do. Um, you know, it's crazy. I mean, I I talk to my wife. I talk to people in my family sometimes. And apart from that, like I got a handful of clients that I talk to on the phone. But apart from that, I just I just don't use I don't really I don't hate using the phone. I, I don't mind. I actually like phone calls. As if you can't guess, I like talking to people. I don't like being interrupted by phone calls. And so I don't like interrupting other people with phone calls. You know, I, as soon as the phone rings, I figure that something horrible has happened. Because the only people who, who call me, my wife doesn't call me, she texts me. Like, we always just text mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. If the phone's ringing, like, something's wrong. Yeah, it's not good. Do you get that? Definitely, yes. I, I, don't, I don't like talking to people. So, <laughs> and then, yeah, if the phone rings, I mean, caller ID is a great invention in the house. Like, we just don't answer the phone if we don't recognize the caller ID. Uh, but now, most of the calls I get on my cell phone are wrong numbers. Huh. I get um, I get calls on my Google Voice number from a guy who must have had it like five or more years ago, who's some kind of like a consulting physician in lawsuits. So I get these incredibly random messages for the doctor. But um, you know what's you know what sucks is it used to be like if it was uh, some wackadoodle, you know, uh, area code or an eight 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 or something, you knew that it was that those are garbage numbers. I think I don't know if you get this in, in Boston, but lately more and more of my spam nuisance calls are coming from four one five numbers, coming from local numbers. It's really weird. I think it must be a new thing. They they're, tr- they're getting around uh, the system. I usually don't look at the numbers. I look at what the caller ID says. Most of the caller ID is refreshingly honest. It says like marketing or telemarket. Like, who would put that on their caller ID? Maybe they're legally really? obligated to it, but it's, yeah. Or, like, oh, never Survey or America or just, I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it says. If it doesn't say something that I know means someone that I know, then I'm not picking up. I don't I don't check the voicemail until I've gone to Who Calls Me or a similar site. 
just to go see that it's you know those, you ever go to those sites you go to the sites where you can yeah, look up no, phone like, every once in a while they call like six times like all right we're gonna find out who this is and you do the googling you find out this is a marketing survey i mean it's never satisfying like you just find out yep it's exactly what we thought it was it was some mm-hmm. robocall spam thing <laughs> the, the funny ones though is like <laughs> there are people like any community like a yelp or a whatever there, there are people who have incredibly strident comments about every call they've ever gotten and and you'll see something like there's something where like for example i'll get a call about something from google you know or something maybe for adsense or something and like <laughs> you'll just see all these messages that are like it's a survey it's a whatever and then there'll be somebody who is like this is a this is a total scam they're trying to rah, 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 and they, they just they get super frustrated yeah, I don't think they understand the purpose of the site. Maybe they think that by complaining on that site, the calls will stop. I'm not sure what people think when they when they type into boxes on the internet. It's very difficult to uh, to get the frame of reference that they're coming from. There's a thing a few years back. I think maybe Anil Dash first brought this to attention, but it's a phenomenon that I'm now kind of obsessed with. You still see it, where somebody done a blog post on their personal blog. This is probably 2003. If I was still reading Anil for laugh and uh and so somebody goes in and like they're they go to this website it's a blog and they're talking about oprah winfrey and suddenly all of these people start directly addressing oprah winfrey because they, they googled for her it came up in a search and they start addressing her as though she either wrote the article or is following the comments yeah i still see that too but i think people are a little bit better at understanding the context these days i saw something i think i just tweeted about it uh earlier this evening uh echochamber.js which is sort of uh a componentized personal hell banning for everybody do you know you know about hell banning? you mean like for uh, tell me what it is i mean i know i know stuff like techie goes to coventry and i know you know kill files but what is what is that so hell banning is i I, it's comes by many different names i think this is the one that's stuck and who knows hell banning could have meant something different but it's like if you have a forum the old style like web forum or whatever and someone is being annoying you hell ban them, and what that means is that everything appears normal from their perspective. They put their comments, and and they see their comment appear on the site, but no one else can see their comments. Yeah, on PHPBB, they used to call that Techie Goes to Coventry, where it's and it makes the person think that they're insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really a gaslighting thing, but you know, but it, it the whole idea. The, it, I guess it kind of is, but you know, it, I mean. Here's the thing about the people who are annoying like that. You would think that like three or four posts in, they would figure it out and start saying, hey, can anyone see what I'm typing? But they don't. They absolutely do not. They just continue to be angry and they think people are ignoring them. Um, And so anyway, echochamber.js is like, what was it? The the tagline was uh, all the commenting, but none of the commenters or all the, I don't know. I'm messing up the tagline. We'll put a link in the show notes. Someone can find it. Um, Commenting without the comments. Yeah. So, it puts a comment form on your blog or whatever. Anybody who types something into that comment form will see their comment at the bottom of the post where they put it. Every time they go back to your site, they will see their comment there. And yet their comment will never be sent to your server. It's all done during local, <laughs> all done using local storage. I guess it relies on them using the same browser. So if they go oh to my God, browser, it's almost like they, they put a sticky comment. note there or something. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, you will never, you as the site owner will never see anyone's comments. No one will ever see anyone else's comments. Everyone will see their own comments. It's um, so weird and sad and depressing that that probably works pretty much fine. I think people will, will start to get the feeling. What it does is makes it seem like your blog is not very popular because every post either has zero or one comments and the few that you comment on, no one else ever comments either. So it will stop you from commenting. I mean, it's obviously it's just a joke thing or whatever. But right, like right, the, right. the idea that these sort of social, social engineering 
hacks are evergreen, you know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of depressing and it's kind of funny. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I think it can be both. Have you seen the mock-ups people have made? Especially, I think, some of the victims and friends of Gamergate victims. Have you seen the mock-up for what people would like to see in um, Twitter um, filters? I have not. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing I, I would really like, too, where you can, the, the notion is, and this does not exist, it's a, you know, it's an idea, <clears throat> where you could do things like, say, um, the whole idea is to basically limit the number of people who can at respond to you, or the number of people, it's not, it's, it's like, not exactly like preemptive blocking, but it's a way of, people have to be uh, sort of vetted in some ways. So you could say, for example, let friends of my friends respond to my tweets, you know, you know, followers of my followers. Um, but the, the ones I really like are only allow at responses to me from people who've had an account for N weeks or months or who have N or more followers, which I, I know sounds, you know, classist or something, but I think that's, that's one potentially interesting way. I guess I would just, I'd like to see more filters like that on, on everything, not just to like say, oh, did somebody famous say something to me, but more as a way to like discourage how easy it is to shove your poop in somebody's face with a new account every day. Yeah, I've heard of I've heard of all those ideas at various times, mostly in, in the form of sad posts from people saying all these things are technically possible and yet are not provided by the platform owners because the platform owners do not consider there to be any kind of problem, which is very sad. Um, I think, surprisingly, things like Stack Overflow, uh, you, you're familiar with Stack Overflow? Yeah. As an, anyway, um, have kind of the right idea unintentionally because they're not like that site is not about i don't think there's a big harassment problem on stack overflow or whatever but if there was they have the solution for it already already which is people you want to have an account uh that accrues reputation or whatever however you want to put it and even though like facebook's real names thing is like a misguided notion it's like oh if we could attach their real name to it then there's consequences and you won't be an anonymous troll and blah 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 but that's that's only the negative side and then you've got you know the whole real name issue which is like a safety issue right stack overflow mm -hmm. you can call yourself whatever you want as far as i'm aware right so there's no real name things but you accrue things that have virtual value or, you know, to basically value, period, not a virtual well, you get, you get woofy, right? By being helpful and stuff like well, that. Well, yeah, whatever you get. Like, you make a name for yourself for whatever name that you make up and you accumulate things. And that slightly discourages the use of, like, you know, throwaway accounts and, and stuff like that. You want to accrue everything onto your... You, you want to have sort of a positive feedback loop, like where there is some identity and there's some stakes here, which is totally absent at Twitter because other than maybe follower account, like the harassers will just make Twitter account after Twitter account, never have more than five followers, not care because I don't know what the average number of followers is on Twitter, but it seems it's like less, it's probably less than 50. It's probably pretty low. And so it's not as if you're accruing this massive value. It's like, oh, well, I better not blow this account that I, Twitter account that I have for six years but for a grand total of five followers that I've had for six years with my five friends. You just make a new account. Your five friends will follow you and you're fine. Like there's no, there's no stakes. Um, right. I mean, you almost want something like PageRank, where it's not just, you know, that the seems like the secret sauce of PageRank was not just that it was the most relevant, but it was a has like a highly respected relevance. So, you know, obviously, again, the idea of like people that you it wouldn't be it doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to figure out people who you talk to a lot, you know, in the same way that Gmail is able to see that this is somebody you not only respond to often, but you respond to quickly, we better make them important, like where you could you could sort of weight things a little bit you know, based on how you already use the site. 
Yeah, although the one thing, I mean, so this one thing is tools for people who are harassed because they need all the tools you talked about, like end degree separation, and no accounts with no followers, accounts have to be active for a certain amount of time, like all the tools absolutely definitely need to be there. But for for those of us who are lucky enough not to need those tools at this point, fingers crossed, um, I, one of the best things about Twitter, I think, is the idea that anybody can, you know, ad mention you, that, right. you know, that you can see new information from all sides like the same thing with any like why why put a feedback form on on a, on a web page why have your email address out there why have people know about you at all uh because there is an upside to it in addition to the massive downside that uh, affects people certain people disproportionately but there is also an upside of that so part of the the beauty and power of twitter is that anybody can talk to anyone else that is also the terrible part of twitter is that anybody can talk no, to anybody else you're, to- you're totally right yeah so i like i i would hate to be in a situation where I'm no longer able to get out of mentions from any random person uh, because of a bunch of terrible people making that like impossible, right? That would that would be a big, you know, the, the tools yeah. absolutely have to be there for people who are already in that situation. Uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, and you know, I, I, I have mostly avoided that issue and I just continue to reap the benefits of being able to see random stuff from random people and I have no idea who they are. Like it, it, it becomes insular. It becomes more like, like, you know, sort of Usenet used to be when things were small and you knew all seven people in the Usenet group and then like a random new person would come in every once in a while and that was it. No, I, I agree with you. It's, you know, Michael Lopp used to say uh, in a different time that the great thing about Twitter is you don't really have to repeatedly see something on Twitter unless you choose to repeatedly see it. When it was, it was, a it, you know, I think a, a variety of things have changed, obviously, to where, you know, they want you to see more stuff, they want you to create and consume more content on the site. So there's a variety of ways that you see stuff you wouldn't necessarily want to see. But I agree with you. I think that's that democracy in some ways is great. It, it isn't some of my favorite things that I've got from people, even in the last, you know, weeks or months. Like a friend of mine from LiveJournal, a guy, a guy named Jay that I was really good friends with on LiveJournal in the early 2000s, I guess recently came on Twitter or just recently started to. He's hilarious. And he had like 29 followers. Like, I'm so glad I found out that Jay was there. And I actually said to people, hey, you should go follow this guy. He's really, he's really funny. But it's, 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 you know, this is, it's hard not to be a little bit cynical about it because, you know, you can think about it as a business or you can think about it as a parent. Like if you think about it as a parent, you would say, well, I'd like to give my kid whatever tools they need to not have to be exposed to the worst of humanity before it's time. And if you think of it as business, like the more stuff people create and the more stuff people see, the better they do. So I don't think these companies, I, I hate to sound cynical because I, I like Twitter, but like it's frustrating to me that they don't take that more seriously. If for no other reason than litigious reasons. I can't believe they're not getting like sued and investigated about some of the stuff they yeah, don't follow I, up I, on. I think they just don't have, I mean, it, it just seems like to be ignorance. It's not as, it's not even like it's some evil scheme of like, haha, by not giving you these tools, we somehow make more money and our platform becomes more valuable. No, it's becoming less valuable. Like if, if it becomes less hospitable, people don't like it. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's lose lose all around. Like they just don't right. see it because they, I guess they think that it is not that something that, only affects a subset of people, but affects them very badly that overall, like they, they just don't, you know, for whatever reason, they don't see it as, as big a problem. I mean, they, you know, the CEO said like, oh, we're terrible at this, we got to get better or whatever, but they're so late to the game. Like, this is not like something that has just started happening now. It's just that the, the sort of uh, anger uh, from the public has finally reached a level where it has penetrated their thick skulls that maybe they should do something and they're taking positive steps. But at a certain point, 
like i don't know if if uh, irre- irrevocably twitter will be known as the service where people can harass you and you have no recourse like even though they're they're taking steps in the right direction now sometimes you just you kind of get a reputation and a certain thing kind of like how aol got the reputation of like the uh the online service that people who don't know about online stuff use like it was just i don't know if aol could have ever shaken that not that they ever right. really had reason to but so yeah if i if i once again i was not consulted um, <laughs> I had well, been it, puts me in the, it puts me in the mind of what they say about Ronald Reagan with Iran Contra, where like there's no easy, there's no there's no good looking way, there's no nothing, there's no good outcome for this for Reagan because either he knew about it and is a liar, or he didn't know about it and is incompetent. There's no reason that the people at Twitter can claim ignorance on this. Like it's it's something that that a lot a lot of people are talking about. And to like treat it as this, you know, again, inf- infinite timeline thing. We're like, yeah, eventually we'll get to that. Manana, manana. too. <laughs> I don't know where it started. Uh-huh. All right, go on. Not familiar with your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know what's the worst? Just never, never go to a news site. Never go to like a newspaper site. It's just, I just, I don't know why I still look at the San Francisco Chronicles comments, <laughs> but like, it is, it is such, it is such a willfully ignorant cesspool from every conceivable side. Yeah, no, my, it's my, the worst. My parents still read like the the website of the newspaper that we got, you know, when I was growing up. Which just with the newspaper has changed. They don't live there anymore, and they still do. I guess just for local news or whatever. But yeah, like that, that's what I was thinking about the other day when I was reading Scott Adams' blog. I don't know why I continue to read this, but anyway, um, I I've been reading his blog since the beginning because I think he's a fascinating uh, person who <laughs> has many many problems, which is interesting. Um, and since I've been reading it since the beginning, I've got to see him like evolve at the accelerated pace of like person who's not familiar with the internet comes on the internet is fairly famous and has to like go through the whole cycle and like and who's and who's following is incredibly familiar with the internet. Yeah, right? and uh, yeah, it, it was weird. So in the beginning, he wrote these posts, and then everyone's got to figure out like, oh, I know the Dilbert guy. I laugh at the comic strips about the office jokes and stuff that stuff's funny and here's this guy and he seems a little weird and he's got these weird ideas and they're trying to figure out trying to figure him out like so is this guy like is he just being funny or does he have what is he really talking about or like and so the comments on his blog in the beginning were very similar to sort of meta filter comments like nerdy people who you'd imagine to be into dilbert trying to say thoughtful things and trying to like you know uh, argue with him or uh, uh counter his points or whatever and uh, as time went on, it was really depressing to see the comments ad- attached to his posts change in a drastic way. If you go, I don't know if they still have archives, but you go back to like a couple of years ago when he first started blogging and look at the comments on one of his posts. His posts haven't changed. He's the same guy. He always was, right? Look at the comments on that one and then fast forward today and look at the comments on a similar post. Now it is all people who... Uh, agree with the most extreme versions of what people imagine to be his positions right oh no and really it, it, like it is gone complete one-sided sort of ditto head kind of like which is a shame because i think even scott adams is not as bad as the commenters but like uh, what what changed in there did he change no he's been pasting posting the exact same things he's set in his ways he's like a 40 50 year old man like he's not he's, he's not changing radically in two years it's just that Everyone eventually learned, got this guy's number, and said, okay, he's he's not going to listen to us. He's not interested in engaging in any sort of substantive debate. He's, you know, this is the way he is, and this is what he's going to say. Everybody left except for the people who not only agree with what he's saying, but thinks he's not going far enough. And so that's super is he, is he conservative? Not really. He's just odd. Like, 
I don't know. I don't want to try to characterize it. I, I'm jumping I straight like to it. the jumping straight to the controversies uh, section of his uh, site here. I mean, a lot of times he's accused of being sexist. A lot of times mm-hmm. he's he's basically kind of a you know egotistical, narcissistic, uh, slightly sexist, unaware of his own privilege, kind of just like the the normal smorgasbord of things. But he's also he's a middle aged guy. <laughs> yeah, he's also smart. He's also funny, right? He, I mean, he you know he has a comic strip that people read and enjoy, and, and you know he has an interesting perspective on on life. Um, and it's just such a shame to see that. Uh, He's just a little bit too far over to sustain an audience of varied, interesting people. And now it's just all people that agree with him and every once in a while an angry person who disagrees with him. And that, I think, makes his his presence less valuable. And it's just it's just really depressing. Like that should be like a huge canary. Like when when you're when the people who are commenting on and sending you feedback shift so radically like that, that it used to be this mix of people who agreed and disagree with you. And now it is all people who think you're not extreme enough. And one or two angry yelling people mixed it like, I don't know how that doesn't affect him. I don't know how to be like, what's you know, what's because they're worse for him. Who wants to read those kind of comments? Who It just it feels like failure. And mm-hmm. so the, the comments are an interesting uh, sort of indicator of not of the quality of the content or out of the nature of the content, I guess. That's what, what I thought of when you said, like, you go to these newspaper sites and, you, and look at the comments on them, and it's just, you know, like, how can you have a publication that is high-minded and uh, adhering to some sort of values when every comment in all of your articles is just the worst of people? Right. You know? And it's, and it's you know, it's funny because it does remind me of Yelp. Because the thing that particularly drives me crazy about Yelp, their business practices drive me nuts. The other thing about Yelp is how many people treat it like a blog, where it's like this kind of personality building thing where they want to, you know, get lots of stars for their reviews and stuff like that. And so, you know, like the worst of rock reviewing sometimes, it's the people who are trying to make a name for themselves as a reviewer rather than actually trying to tell you something. In that case, like, yeah, I want to know, like, what the service was like. You know what I mean? And then that happens to great extremity on newspaper sites where that you just go and I'll occasionally link on click on the link to the person's name to see their other comments and it's just like they're just spending their whole day on one issue like I love the 49ers like um people shouldn't have kids um dogs should be allowed everywhere like there's just all these like single issue people who find a way to like wedge themselves into every conversation yeah that that was that is one of the great features that you know that has come to the commenting world the fact that you can click on someone's name and see all the other things they've written because <laughs> before that feature existed no one person would be you know you wouldn't you wouldn't realize the scope of this like i mean and you just name like three things sometimes there really are single issue things like this one per, one person is really angry about anybody who slights the, the ford mustang and like you just you just go through in seven years for the posts and he's just like hunting down anyone who ever says anything bad about the Ford Mustang and he's yelling at them and correcting their technical details and telling them that their <laughs> anti Ford Mustang stance has been clear from the start, like just years of it. And you really you really start to wonder about those people. I mean, some if it's just like a three or four of them, it could be like a joke, like the Amazon joke reviews. But if it's like multiple years of stuff, then now you're thinking you know, should we send someone? Is there someone we should call? Like, I know. is there a family that you can get and in well, touch you know, with? It's, it is nice because I, I do find I take things like that much less personally than I used to. Like, if you get a short comment that is, well, you know, like like any kind of criticism, there's a kind of criticism where you're like, wow, what are you talking about? Like, that's that's not, there's no, that doesn't make any sense. There's that kind of, that, that, that bugs you because somebody's needling you. But like, if somebody says something where you like, you take, you go, ooh, gosh, that hurts. That is kind of true. And you click through, and like it may still be true, but then you see that 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 person 
<laughs> says the same thing to everybody. Exactly. Right, yeah. <laughs> this episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by MailRoute. You can learn more about MailRoute right now by visiting mailroute.net slash diffs, D-I-F-F-S. Gang, email is a huge part of our life and work, but believe me, it is not without its downsides. If you get a lot of email, you already know how much of it is just pure junk, and MailRoute wants to help you with that. MailRoute is a service for filtering email that is run by exactly the kind of people that you would hope. Obsessively driven email nerds, they do nothing but email nerdery. They're not allowed. That's their job. This is not a hobby. It's not some kind of a casual plug-in. It's not a drawing on a cocktail napkin. This is the real deal. They take your email even more seriously than you do. I checked, and they do. So imagine with me, imagine. Imagine a world without spam, without viruses, without bounced email. Can you see it? Imagine opening your inbox and seeing only the legitimate email that you want and need to receive. This is what you'll get with MailRoute. They have been the most reliable team in email protection since 1997, a year that may or may not have actually existed. Anyway, if you have your own domain name, regardless of who hosts it, MailRoute can help. There is no hardware or software to install or to maintain. MailRoute simply receives your email, sorts it, and delivers only the clean email to your mail server. MailRoute will save you money on hardware, bandwidth, and other precious resources. They take care of it all, soup to nuts. It's easy to set up and maintain, and it's trusted by tons of large universities and corporations. Heck, ACM, okay, the world's largest and oldest governing body for computer sciences, uses MailRoute for their email protection. That is no small beer, my friends. As a MailRoute desktop user, you are in control through an interface that is both simple, sane, and effective. And if you're a super nerd, an email admin, or an IT pro, don't panic, because MailRoute has built all of their tools with you in mind. They even have an API for easy account management. MailRoute supports LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging, outbound relay, everything you'd want from the people who are handling your precious email. So to remove spam from your life for good, do me a favor, please go to MailRoute.net slash diffs. And that gets you a free trial, plus 10% off for the lifetime of your account. And a lifetime is a very, very long time. I, I, I checked Wikipedia. It's, it's insane. MailRoute, just the best. And, and we want to say thanks to MailRoute for bringing sanity and civility back to our inbox and for supporting reconcilable differences. Do you want to jump into some follow-up? We got some little bit of follow-up this week. Sure. We have only only two items here, I see. Well, two. I, I also want to talk about the spray paint, the spray all paint right. uh, sugar. I'll let you take the first one. That's all you. Oh, God. I, this has got to be one of my most colossal brain farts of all time. I, I cannot believe this brain fart on my on my part. You just misspoke like a politician. It's fine. But I, I think I misthought, too. I know. I it happens back, all the time. We're old men. This is what happens in our brains. I went back and re-listened to it, and I was like, I said that like it made sense. What did I say that made no sense? I said that Synecdoche, New York was a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, and I said it like that was a sensible thing, when I totally know that that was something Charlie Kaufman did. I didn't even know that. That's why I agreed with you and didn't correct you, because I had no idea who directed that movie. And you said P.T. Anderson? I'm like, yeah, sure, I can see that. Consider yourself absolved. I apologize to everyone. Thank you to everybody who has taken the time to uh, send the correction on Twitter. I hear you, and I'm very sorry. That was a, there was a, an inexcusable and dumb mistake. Sometimes we misspeak when we speak, but that was a really, it was, it's not even the kind of mistake where I like, you know, move a part of speech around or say the wrong word or do an Elliot Kalin thing. Like it wasn't even that. It was just, there's no excuse for that brain fart. It makes no sense. And so I apologize to uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and Charlie Kaufman and so, everyone who had to hear it. So what else has Charlie Kaufman done? What do I know? What else do I know of his? He's mostly known as a, a screenwriter. 
Um, he did, I think, <laughs> nice try. Just, no, yeah, well, I'm serious because, like, I don't, you know, that's why I, I look. did not blink sure, when you said P.T. Anderson. I'm pretty sure he did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I think he wrote that. I think he wrote, I think he wrote Being John Malkovich. All right, I've seen both of those. All right, now me, now, now I see that through line on. on oh, and then, of course, uh, I think, did he also do, uh, I think I pivoted wrong on Spike Jones is the thing. Because didn't Spike Jones do uh, Where the Wild Things Are? Yeah, that's one of the movies we talked about. Yeah, right, exactly. And I think, did he, he write he, that? He, uh, I don't. No, he did not. No, uh, Charlie Kaufman did Adaptation, yep. Eternal Sunshine. Being John uh, Malkovich. Yep. Oh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Um, Synecdoche, New York. Anyway, dumb mistake, my bad. Oh, look at that. He wrote Forget a Life. How about that? That's <laughs> a funny show. There you go. So, anyways, uh, and that is uh, our thanks go to. Was it Steve Poland? For that what, the first of the nine thousand people to correct us on that. The first of the thank you, Steve. First of the nine thousand people to point out what a dumbass I am. I apologize. Um, I, 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 I <laughs> you ready for this? Last night I watched the first half of that uh, very long talk that the cinematographer of uh, Fury Road did. did. Did you watch that or part of it or any of it? I think, believe I watched the whole thing. And I'm fine with you watching half of that because that's not a narrative. It's not a movie. <laughs> Someone didn't sit there and script it and shoot it and direct it. It's just a guy up on stage talking. Fine. Watch half of it. You're <laughs> all good. All right. All right. Fair enough. I, 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 wanna, I, I do want to recommend for people who enjoyed the movie um, or people who are interested in the process, uh, if you liked what John, I, I'm guessing that a lot of the stuff you talked about, a good fair amount of the stuff you talked about last week kind of came out of watching that because it goes into uh, <laughs> it goes into a lot of detail about the things you described, like just, you know, we'll fix it in post, we'll fix it in post. We'll fi- all the stuff that they did um, and then with the idea that this was eventually going to, you know, be heavily treated in post did you look at all the links i put in the show notes of last week's episode because i think I about, half, about half of them yeah. lots of you know the articles with screenshots of the scenes before and after what was actually in camera what was added in post i made my i made strange. my wife look at that that site because those side-by-side comparisons like when you said that 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 you know like the the cliff or the bridge you it's know not even scene, there i know it's absolutely amazing and and the stuff you talked about last week with the whole idea of I don't know. I guess I, I recommend this talk because I think the the this I forget the guy's name, but the cinematographer from Australia who did this was a very interesting guy. Clearly from a different background. Like he's not. He's I'm sure he's done like CGI and post things before, but it sounds like he had to really bend. He and his team. It's just an amazing story well, how it, much it, they had it, to adapt to the what way he said. It was like that. This is what every job is like. I, the, the vibe I got from him is like, yes, this was a difficult one, but his entire career has been. I'm going to try to do something. Director's going to have some idea. I'll try something. Like the whole thing where they're like, we're going to do it in 3D and invent this new kind of 3D camera. And they spent all this time on that. It's like, oh, you know what? Never mind. We're going 2D. And it was like, right. what? whatever. Like, that's the job. It sounds All like. the work they put into trying to light with that giant 3D camera and how right, we fit right. this into the truck. And, but also, I just love how I, he was funny about it. He was a gentleman about it. But, but two things. Uh, one thing I love how you could just feel like in his telling of the story, how he just got worn down. <laughs> <laughs> more and more over time about no that's not no actually the trucks aren't going to move at all <laughs> we'll just make the wheels move later we'll fix it in post actually we're going to shoot day for night and you know it doesn't matter where the sun is <laughs> right yeah, don't worry all don't worry stuff. about continuity don't worry that the sky is gray here and blue there <laughs> just don't worry about it at all all these things that you train your but but it totally seemed like that that although this was a very difficult shoot that every right. that his job is essentially to go in there be asked to do impossible things have people change their mind and just figure it out like tape something to this put this thing in there realize this doesn't fit in here like i mean that seems like a microcosm of movie making and especially movie making with exploding trucks in a desert somewhere it's just right. like 
you think it's this well-oiled machine like you look at the finished product like wow this is amazing boy the great minds behind this and you realize like the, the production process of that movie is, seems like a giant train wreck all the way from like the very beginning of like having this grand plan and spending all this time and just like ditching it and doing something entirely different it's like what you mean this this beautiful perfect movie wasn't the plan from the beginning it's like a series of disasters lead to the creation of this But he's thing. also, he's a gamer. Because, like, he his, his whole approach all along is, like, he'll do whatever needs to be done, but he's like, let me get coverage for this. Like, he's going to be evaluated based on how much he gets to the editor that the editor can do something with. Like, please let me shoot the, the story about the three cameras. Like, how great yeah, is that? Yeah, like, move, can you move them a little bit closer to each other? Could you keep moving them? <laughs> Bonk, <laughs> and the three cameras run into each other. It's like, there, that's exactly <laughs> where I want it. It's like, it's a battle, but the like, director has a vision, but he's got a job to do, and he knows he's the one who's going to get yelled that later but he's off in an air-conditioned truck with a radio (laughs) the other thing just apropos of nothing is um and i I honestly i just didn't make it through the whole thing because like i was like god this is really long i mean what's you you kind of impressed with the slideshow i mean like i guess maybe his assistant guy the the guy with the bifocals put it together Mm -hmm. i don't know but whoever put that together my god and it went i mean uh, as somebody who's done talks with you know one tenth that many slides i thought it was pretty great you know, yeah, no, he had that was a lot of slides. I don't so know what his, his slide deck must have gone up to like seven hundred and sixty-eight or something. Like and like, just, but the the other the guy was really good. The guy who was advancing the slides, who I think is also a was he probably the assistant, a cinematographer or something? I forget. But he's definitely involved in the process. He talked for a little while too. But I don't know. I just it's like I say, apropos of nothing. But if you've done talks or seen talks, it's pretty masterful. <laughs> they put together this two-hour slideshow. It was amazing. Yeah, I don't know. If, could they even have possibly rehearsed that? It would I, take that's what I was thinking. To... There's no way. There's no way they would have rehearsed that it sounded like it was just all off the cuff and he was just a well-spoken person smart who got his stuff together and has a kind of dry humor and they just i think he just collected a bunch of pictures and they just well, it seems like they just did it for the first time they just yeah stood yeah. up there and went through it i recommend it though because um i mean i hope you enjoyed the movie uh, i don't know if you enjoyed it as much as john and i did but if you whether or not you enjoyed the movie i gotta tell you i love seeing anybody who's great at what they do talking about how they do it and uh, I understood probably about a quarter of what he was talking about most of the time. But just looking at, if you like back to work and you like thinking about how work stuff goes, just what this guy had to do <laughs> out in the middle of the desert with these crazy cranes and digging an $8,000 pit in the, in, the, in the ground that they only use for this one thing. <laughs> it's amazing just as a, uh, if you enjoy hearing about how people work, I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> and all the cameras they bought, and they're like taping these little cameras to things and half of them get destroyed. And like he was using these little dinky cameras that he didn't have any faith in but he just put a whole bunch of them all over the place and ended up getting some great shots out of them like again it totally destroys your notion that there is this beautifully choreographed planned out in advanced way that this movie is going to be made it really it's just like mud and gaffer's tape and broken lenses and sweat and pain and changed plans right <laughs> right there's our title yeah and and also i mean like as you say just to underscore <laughs> this is so amazing they did not have a script for the movie. They had 10 years of storyboards that covered all sides of a room. All they had was storyboards. The, as you said, as you mentioned last time, I think, the I guess Warner Brothers demanded a script. So they were like, okay, uh, fake typing noises, <laughs> make a script. And they're like, no, no, really, the, the script is we have these storyboards and this is the movie we're making. Right. And at some point, these characters will probably say something to each other. Is that a script? <laughs> Tom Hardy grunts. Um, <clears throat> so that is recommended. Uh do you want to mention the, uh, the the spray on cake stuff? I think I put it in show notes for the episode. Yeah, this is just we're just repeating the show notes from last. All week's right, episode. all right. It was just it was just funny. You sent me a link to um, is it Tilton or Tifton? The, the name of the company that makes the cake stuff. They have a product on Amazon, which is like a spray on like metallic 
like a kind of like a frosting I guess. Yeah, it's food. It's a food product. Oh, yeah, food absolutely. Spray. It's for making a cake. And all, all the questions in the reviews act like it's something that a war boy would buy to spray on his face. Well, that was the theory that on the internet, anyone who knows if it's true, I, I haven't heard it anywhere legitimately, that, that basically, like, what would the, what did they use in the movie for the thing? They're obviously not going to take actual Krylon spray paint and spray it in the actress' mouths. That would never come off. It would be terribly toxic, blah, blah, blah. So what could they use? Well, they're just going to use food spray because it's perfectly safe. You can eat it. Actors can spray it into their mouths without... The you know actors guild yelling at you for poisoning their the the members of their union or whatever, um, so it had to have been a food based product and someone just found silver food based spray on Amazon and then the the magic of the aforementioned Amazon humorous reviews does the rest. Oh, that's funny. I uh, yeah, I watched it a couple more times. <clears throat> it's uh, whew, that's a dinger. Have you well, recommended how, how good it? Is your copy, by the way, I'm, is is it a, like a seven twenty p. No, no, I mean, but is it, is it like a screener or is it like, you know, uh, what is it called? Tech line or whatever from the, the you know, where you have the audio from the movie and then... A telescene? Te- yeah, not a monster. Te- I don't know. I, I don't know what... Co- I don't even know it. what these words mean. I don't know how, how to pronounce the word. I'm saying, is it a screener? Like, is it actual... Nope, it's a real thing. That's what I mean by screener. Like, someone gives you a DVD or a Blu-ray from the Oh, studio. when I think of screener, I think of a screener as being like DVD quality and uh, with, with uh, for your consideration all over it. Yeah, but but, as opposed to something filmed in a the theater. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Super clean. Super clean. All right. Well, maybe I'll have to get that from you because... I wouldn't know how to do that. We'll make it happen. <laughs> I could do that. I don't, now I don't remember why I put this in here, but at some point I was listening to one of the umpteen podcasts that you were on. And you were talking about food. Was it an incomparable, maybe? Here was the gist of it. You you will recall which podcast this was better than I was. It was something about, like, you were on a podcast with a bunch of other people, and you were saying, it's late at night, and you're, you're really hungry, and you want to eat something, but you're going to feel guilty about eating it. Don't you just go into the freezer and pull out, like, the worst possible thing and cook it and then eat it and then feel bad about yourself? Right. And no one else in the podcast was like, yeah, right on. I do that all the time. And you were like, come on, guys. Am I the only one? What podcast is that that I'm thinking? That's, that's got to be the incomparable, probably. Because um, those usually go late. And that's that's when I would do some of my primary shame eating. <laughs> yeah. And so so that's that's what I wanted to get to. But I've heard you talk about food a lot. You talk about food on, with Roderick all the time. You talk about your wolf chili in the cans. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You talk about things being in the freezer. You talk about expired food at the office. I'm just listening to the, the thing with your... Uh, with uh, April's cream from 2014. <laughs> <laughs> this week's Every time I open the door, the entire office stinks. <laughs> I, I just want to think we really need to research, you know, the whole kind of like uh, uh, outgassing of multiplying bacteria and the potential for explosion. <laughs> this scenario is... Oh, is, God, I don't need to hear... Hey, cool. Hey. There oh, is, yeah. <laughs> think about your exploding cream. <laughs> but it's of your own doing. You're doing it to yourself. Everything's of my own doing, John. There, that's the problem. There is there is a there is a relevant episode of Cowboy Bebop that you have not seen, but someday may see if I have my way. So you, you talked that about that on the, the Incomparable, right? Uh, the refrigerator. No, we have not yet talked about it on the Incomparable. Oh, anyway, it, yeah. um, food food comes up a lot, and it seems like that I'm not going to say you have a lot of hangups with food, but there's like I mean the whole idea of there being food that you want to eat but then feel bad about eating like that that I. You know, it says food issues in the notes here with issues in quotes, but I think that's a non-quote issue. Like, food should not be a source of shame or like, uh, like, 
you shouldn't secretly be eating food. You ha- shouldn't have food hidden. You shouldn't <laughs> feel bad about the food that's in your house. You or... should throw out the cream that's bad. Yeah, that's that as getting more into hygiene, moving away from food then. And you're kind of like, do not do not keep cream in your refrigerator that has an expiration date that is uh, one or more months, years. 16 months ago. Yeah. That, that, that is an X cream. There's actually um, four. <laughs> uh, and then you know i'll just have to bring in marco to talk about having cream in your coffee at all but uh <laughs> well okay here's what it is it's not it's not even strictly a weight issue um it's kind of a health issue but like i used to weigh a lot more uh, in the early 2000s and i lost a bunch of weight and i discovered along the way it also helped to heavily ameliorate a pretty grave chronic health problem that i have um and without getting too gruesome about it, changing my diet helped that tremendously. And losing 30 pounds made me feel a lot better. So I, I used to be like 194, and then I got down to about, you know, 165. And that's that's kind of my target weight. <clears throat> I'm 5'9". Um, what, what are you? You're probably like 140? What are you? You're like 6'7 and 140? <laughs> you're off by a little bit, but not much. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing. It's like for me, so so starting off with first principles, it, it is not just that I'm like, oh, I'm going to be so fat. It's like, it's not that. It's that I do know, I've said this on many podcasts, and there's a reason I frequently, frequently find myself using food as an analogy for self-improvement, because I, I think it's a place most people can realize they fall short on and understand why, right? I, I'm, like some people are like, I, I failed at writing poetry and I don't know why. Well, I bet you know why you failed at getting healthier. I bet you know in your heart you failed at getting healthier because you didn't exercise more and eat less or eat better. So part of it is for me that I do know that I feel better and importantly, ring your bell, um, I have more energy that I can regulate properly uh, if I'm eating well. If I'm eating well, sleeping well, getting the right amount of exercise, I really notice the difference. So for me, in the case of tonight, like I, I don't buy the two pounds of chow mein very often anymore. It is really a quarter last resort. It's why I end up not eating all day because I think like, oh, I don't want to go eat a cheeseburger and take a nap. That's going to kill my energy regulation. I have to be awake. I got to pick up my kid at camp and like be cheery. So for me, a lot of it, the groaning is like, oh, I screwed up all day long and now I'm eating because I have to eat. And I feel bad about that because I know that it has consequences. It's not, it's not, it's not like I'm sitting around, like, it's not like I'm bulimic or something like that, but I, I I think I have a fairly healthy relationship with food. As I said earlier tonight, I'm just sick of thinking about food. I'm sick of making food. I'm sick of, I I, I like cooking what I feel like cooking. That's because you have a kid. Yeah, but then you got to wash the dishes and then you got to buy more food. And the kids don't, well, I don't know about your kid. My kids don't like anything I ever make and yet you have to feed them. She's headed straight for an all noodle diet at this point. (laughs) Noodle, noodles and whatever dessert she can get, get away with. Um, but, you know, she's at that age. She's seven. That's, I think, pretty typical. I don't think it's weirdly unhealthy. But, no, that, that's what it is. Is like I, and then at night, I've started this thing uh, I call Second Dinner, which is like I eat with my family, and then later at night when I'm going to watch a movie or something, that's when I'll eat like a bowl of corned beef hash. And that's, <laughs> that's not good. You don't want to be doing that. That's, like, that's, how, that's how you become a sumo wrestler. See, right, so you got to like... The idea that this I don't want to start quoting Scott Adams, but he because he has he has the typical like, I don't understand why you guys just don't do what I did. It's so simple. Um, But there is a kernel of truth to his crazy food thing, which is the only way to do it successfully is to change change what makes you happy, which which is ridiculous sounding. Like, how can you do that? Like, no, I don't think it sounds ridiculous at all. uh, How can you make yourself not like 
chocolate ice cream. Well, because the dirty right? little secret is that eating the food is not actually making you happier. It's well, not that hard because the food only is basically temporarily making you not unhappy. It's not actually making you happy. Well, but but like you, st- the fact that you still have the desire. The whole point is the, the his idea. He he's got the goal state. He's like, why don't you just get to the goal state? He doesn't really have a process for getting there. He kind of does. But anyway, the idea is. Uh, if you don't crave chocolate ice cream, not having chocolate ice cream is really easy, right? And hmm. so, like, there's no process by which you're going to make yourself eat less chocolate ice cream, but you're always going to want it, right? It's it's like, it's kind of like quitting smoking. Like, a lot of people I've heard who quit smoking say, I still want a cigarette every day, but I don't do it. And the magic diet thing is like, if you are like, I still want ice cream every day, but I don't do it. No one is ever going to be successful at that because it's basically impossible. It's you a lot like alcohol, right? You, I mean, you have to you have to really not want to drink. Right, and you, right. in this well, case, that, you have to not... You, yeah, either you have to have a Herculean willpower or you have to get to the point where like, you don't have to exert any willpower because the thought of chocolate ice cream makes you want to vomit. If you are lactose intolerant, I would imagine it does not take long for you to be for your stomach to turn at the thought of having a milk product if you have it really bad and every time you have ice cream you puke your guts out or something right mm-hmm. it, eventually you don't want ice cream anymore not not that, that's yeah. you know that's that's not going to work for everybody but like the whole idea is you know switching somehow tricking your mind into feeling good when you eat vegetables and your stomach just turning at the thought of having mcdonald's and yeah. at that point you're not relying on willpower to do anything and, and and that's such a great thing oh that's great if i could snap my fingers and have that happen i would do it but we can't and so like how do you get from here to there and you sound like you're at the phase where you know you should be eating better but there's lots of foods that you absolutely crave at two in the morning you you like you want that that's what your your body's telling you go get the hash just just no one everyone else asleep no one will see you eat it if well, it's not like it, it's not <laughs> it's not that i don't <laughs> want my family to know but but you you bring up an interesting point which is that uh you know my wife is very, see, now it's going to sound like I'm not concerned, but my wife is the primary concerned parent about the amount of sugar our kid has. It, it, it bothers me too, but um, it doesn't help that my wife is currently, she works at a hospital, and she's currently on a 30-month uh, no sugar thing. And uh, so she's thinking about sugar a lot, and she's seeing you know, how much like crazy stuff. Like, you ever look at the back of an apple juice? Like, it's crazy. It's like a Coke. It's nuts. So we're both realizing that our kid has gotten into, not to be too personal, but has gotten to where like she really wants something sugar all the time. She's a child. This is what she wants. And my only thing to, to her was to say, like, I want to be supportive of that. I agree we have to work on that. But I think there's a way to do that that's not negative and is con- constructive. So like my suggestion was, like, let's not make her feel bad or shameful about wanting that. But the thing to do is like when you get home from school, offer her a snack that's not sugar. Like, you know what I mean? We can't just expect her to have the will to just suddenly say, okay, new dealer, no more sugar here. We have to give her something to replace it. In the same way that when you quit smoking, you try to replace it with a good habit, right? So that, that, that's what I need to do for myself. And when I was doing Atkins, for example, uh, I, and that's when I lost all the weight, like I would think ahead and I would like not buy stuff that was bad for me. I would not eat even rice. I was totally fixated on one number. I know this is not healthy in the long run, but just saying no more than 20 carbs, 20 grams of carbs a day. That was that was a video game that I could win. And I did. And I got really good at it. And as I felt better, here's the trick. As I started feeling better and better, I didn't want those other foods. While at the same time, let's just say I've learned that my former love of onions was not doing me any favors. <laughs> so I can have some of the onions, I can have some of the beer, I can have some of the hot peppers, but I can't have all of those things or I'm going to be doing a lot of reading tomorrow. So like that 
I need to get back into that swing if I want to see this change. Yeah, old age does help. Sort of the version therapy of like your body just rebels against certain foods that you can eat where you're younger and voila, eventually you do not crave them anywhere. But there is kind of like a hangover. Some people like, even though I get sick every time, I still crave it. Like, yeah. And that goes back to like the conditioning. Like, we worry about that with kids too of like, you're worried that if you deny it to them, it becomes the forbidden fruit and it becomes all the more desirable. And you are what you're actually doing is feeding their desire for it by denying them. And like, I mean, again, a lot of it's a genetic component that like, young young people seeking out extremely high calorie food like is that's there's an evolutionary benefit to that because then you won't starve to death if you you know i found something sweet eat as much of it as you possibly can because who knows the next time you're going to find food yeah you're more likely to survive than the kid who's like yeah i could take or leave sweet foods right i mean like there there's a reason we like all the things we do and you know now we are victims of our own abundance where we can just you know the ability to seek out the craving for high calorie food or things that taste like they could be high calorie even if they may not be you know like artificial sweeteners and everything like it's just it's all of our the way we're the, the way our bodies work is not a good fit for the way our brains have the oh, world, I, I totally the world agree. our yeah. brains have constructed you for sound us. like dan benjamin now i i totally agree it's you know i think as an adaptive mechanism the idea of something high calorie that's sweet AKA not poison is something that's very attractive, but you know, God, you mentioned sugar and all the, all the people come out of the, out of the woodwork. But you know, the thing with sugar is like, I really, please don't send me papers, but like, I'm pretty sure that eating sugar just makes you want more sugar. Maybe, maybe like that minute, but I think even over time, there's something about what sugar is doing, whatever that is sending, the happy juice that's sending to your brain just makes you want more and more and more. So I'm for, I'm fortunate in the sense that I'm more of a savory guy than a sweet guy. So I, my problem is I need to think ahead. I need to plan ahead. And as was saying, when my daughter comes home, Hey, you want some of this uncured Genoa salami? That's a good snack. Right. Or have some of this cheese instead of like four chocolate milks and Mario Kart, you know. So for me, I just need to be better about getting those things in place for myself. I'm not actually that shameful about food, but, it, you know, it's everything slows down when you get older. You know, I go and look at my Fitbit data or my Withings data and it's just it's like, wow, I can just see it. It's right there. Like I'm walking less and I'm weighing more. It's so weird. It's like it's on the page. Do you feel like that your childhood has any effect on like like sort of how how uh, desserts and sweets and food and stuff were handled in your childhood has some I always wonder how much of that carries over the whole clean off your plate. Uh, if you're a good boy, you'll get dessert uh, using food as a reward like there there must be some aspect of that mixed in. I, I still think that the whole uh, genetic component is probably bigger because there's an easier explanation even even the stuff like you know, how easily do you pack on pounds? Mm-hmm. It's great to be able to pack on pounds. Packing on pounds is is a good survival characteristic in a scarcity of food because when the food is in plenty, if you can eat a ton of it and seek it out and pack on the pounds, maybe you'll survive the winter and the other guy who wasn't that into eating won't, right? It's mm-hmm. really bad to, have to, to, be, to have a body that's really efficient about extracting energy from food and storing it as fat when you have unlimited food. You, you, unlimited, seem, like you, you seem like you have a pretty high metabolism. Uh, well, you know, you get older and it slows down. Like this, there's no, there's no stopping that. I was, I have, how, how many pounds do you think you've gained since high school? I bet we have gained a similar amount of pounds since high school. What I remember specifically is when my friend Tony and I would go to Publix, we'd always weigh ourselves in college, and we always both weighed exactly 149 pounds. So I gained 15-ish pounds after college, and then eventually 15 more on top of that. Yeah, so I'm similar. I've gained like 20, 20 to 30 pounds since high school. 
I, I, to be honest, John, I go by how my pants fit, like how my pants feel. I don't like the way my pants feel right now. <laughs> That's where I notice it. It isn't so much because I mean, you know, you've probably heard this in different programs, but like I'm not an obsessive about the observation of what is measured. I am obsessive about the measuring, like the Fitbit right here. It keeps track of my steps. It keeps track of my sleep. I do not obsess, obsess over it every day, but I do, I'm very into the trend lines. Yeah, I don't do any of that measurement stuff because although I have gained a similar amount of you since high school, I started out way skinnier. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, but you gain it. You gain it in places you don't want. Like you get a little belly, even if you are oh, ridiculously yeah. thin, like I am. It doesn't like my weight seems really low. <laughs> you're just but, a skinny guy with a belly. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you get old. It happens, right? But yeah. I, so I don't have the same sort of. I think I don't have most of the same hangups that other people have, even though my parents were very big on the, like, there was never any soda in our household. We never had soda in our house ever, ever. Uh, desserts, we didn't have junk foods. We did not have Twinkies. We didn't have Pop-Tarts. We didn't have, we had granola bars. And not the wow. good granola bars, kids. <laughs> the gross, dry ones where it comes two in a package and they taste like sawdust. Um, <laughs> like, it, my mom made her own yogurt. Like, this is the, this is the, <laughs> the, the kind of, and she was vegetarian, by the way. Um, oh, still okay. Is. Um, so we didn't have any of those sweets, but kind of like you would think in some respects, like we weren't, there was no like anti-dessert policy. Like we had ice cream and stuff, you know, like Briar's ice cream with like natural ingredients and stuff like that. But, um, the soda thing I think worked on me, like that we never had soda anywhere that I had it at birthday parties. Um, if I was out to dinner with a family other than my own, maybe, uh, but basically I never, produced had a craving for soda to this day i don't have any craving for soda when i go out i you know infamously or famously or whatever have a sprite which is one of the few sodas that i can tolerate it because at restaurants like you never know what the the water is going to be like you have to order something i, I get a sprite right mm -hmm. but we still don't have soda in the house i have no craving for soda whatsoever and then i hear tales of people like your stories of like how many how many like regular cokes you would down per day during your childhood and i'm, I'm like is that is that just because of who i am is it because i was raised in a house without soda like no i think it, it i think it is i think very much i mean we were a coca-cola house we always had it around and and not having it around i mean it seems sensible that you wouldn't be attracted to that but I, I, you know, what's funny, I, I don't know if I told you this, when my wife and I, I finally got my wife to see Fury Road by get, seeing it in the theater, in a real dinky theater. But like, you know, I don't, we go there and I'll get my kids some junior mints and get her like a bottle of Dasani raccoon water. And I, I the thing that I do, I hate myself for it. I, I get an extra large soda, like seltzer water, which is like $7. It's appalling, but my wife and I, you know, we'd already had dinner. Uh, um, my daughter was staying with our in-laws, and we're like, "Hey, let's go out and you know have date night. We'll go see Fury Road." And you know, what we bought we bought eleven dollars worth of water. We had a giant soda soda water for me and a big Dasani water for her. Like whoop de doo, big that. Well, the, the raccoon is extra. So yeah, sure, so. sure. But we, I, when my daughter and I went to see ugh, Minions movie the other day, <laughs> luckily I slept through about half of it, but. Um, but we, um, I, I, I did, again got my big soda, my seven dollar extra large soda. Now, what do you know about extra large drinks at every, at every well managed movie theater in America? What is the one thing you know you're going to get when you get the extra large soda? A lot of ice. Free refill. You always get a free refill on the extra I large. I didn't know that because I guess I don't buy soda. But like, what do you mean a refill? It's the size of your head. How are you going to like you? How I, are you think, I drank that much. That? I drank that much seltzer just in the time after I woke up. No, I, 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 but I was, I was, I was furious. I didn't let it show because I'm a gentleman. But I said, I'll take the $7 giant ass soda. I said, that's a free refill, right? 
And they go, no, no, sir. I was like, really? I can't get like more soda water? <laughs> you can refill that bucket with water from the, the bathroom tap. Say, no, sir, you're paying for the cup. <sighs> uh, speaking of movies, that's actually a good point of comparison. So the soda, I never had a craving for. But when I was a kid, when I would go to the movies, I would get the same thing every time because this is the kind of person I am. I would get milk duds and raisinets. Mm, uh, nice. One, one, bo- one box of milk duds, one box of raisinets. I thought they balanced each other nicely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And very frequently, what I would have to do is stop myself from opening the packages until after the trailers were done. Because if I didn't, I would be done with both boxes by the time the trailers are done. This was before trailers were half an hour long, too. This was only like three or four trailers. Today, the thought of eating an entire box of milk duds, an entire box of raisinets, makes my stomach turn. Oh, and God. I don't know when that change happened. Because it's not like I don't like dessert. I love it. I eat ice cream all the time. I like chocolate. I like all these things. But but seriously, that is a lot of corn syrup packed into that. Like, it is just... I know. Uh, and maybe I've become a snob, and now I only like super expensive chocolate and super expensive ice cream. But I always feel, like it. Feels so so heavy. Like sometimes I'll I'll eat if I'm not paying attention. Like I will eat too much ice cream in a sitting. But like we go to a place uh, near our house where they have you know relatively freshly made fudge, and we'll get a you know and you know like a, a square of fudge, maybe a couple three inches square, and like two bites of that, and I'm good. Like I remember going to Disney World as a kid. And every, whenever we left the park at the Magic Kingdom, you could go through on Main Street. You could pick up this like aluminum tin with what must have been two pounds of fudge in it, and I would eat the entire thing on the bus ride home. Yeah, and I think all this this has to be genetic. This has to be just like you're getting old. There's no longer a need for you to be seeking out calories. It's time for you to just die, so the the you know the the <laughs> tribe can move on and your body leave your desiccated body behind. Because like we are, like it just does, it's that. I don't think I did anything or anything happened in my life or had any change in thinking to make it stomach churning for me to consider eating that much candy. Uh, I think it's just a nat- just a natural part of getting older. Um, that, that it's just volume wise that I can't do it. Right. And like mm-hmm. another thing, like when I was a kid at, you know, at, at the, sw- at the pool in the summer, frozen Charleston chew, like the si- length of my forearm. Pfft, no problem. I have like three of those while, while at the pool. Right. Yeah. When we and, sold, and, when we sold candy for chorus or band or something or drama club, you know, I don't know if you did this at your school. Now, this seems un- improbable. It seems amazing to me that that's how you made money when I was in high school. Oh, sold chocolate bars. I know about it. Yeah, but my problem was I would eat them all. Yeah, they, you had to pay for them, though, out of yeah, your own money. So I, I ended up owing $40 in my band teeth. Yeah, and, you, and like the chocolate bars, they were pretty big chocolate. Like big, thick, you know, the, the, the kind of generic white wrapper. And they weren't, I don't think it was good quality chocolate, but just, no. just having access to that many chocolate bars is like, I can eat these whenever they want. I just oh, gotta put a well, dollar. We had in boxes of M and M's and and actual full on Snickers, and I mean that's like a third of your calories for the day in that one little bar. That's just gross. So <clears throat> yeah, I need to make more good meals for myself. I'm gonna try and become less shameful. Um, I just don't drink Coke like I used to. Can't do it. Yeah, well, that's I, that's the thing. My wife has a thing. She had soda growing up, and when we first got married, she still had kind of a soda habit. Uh, that it kind of switched to diet soda, and I was like, oh, artificial sweeteners, cancer, blah, 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 crazy, scare things. Look at these articles, Paul. But, but more to the point, it was like, the sugary one, obviously, you're not going to drink that, because you're just jamming sugar into your mouth. It's ridiculous. It's not sustainable, right? It's no right. nutritional value. It's just having sugar. The diet one is like, now what are you even doing? There's still no nutritional value. There's some artificial know, sweetener man. in on, there. On that cruise, John Scalzi kind of got me in, almost got me into the Coke Zero, like, it was. It's just. It's comforting to know that there's always a drink there that you can slam down. That's that's not going to be full of sugar. I, I know, but, not it, as but bad it has as I no expected. value. It is. It's it's bad tasting, potentially harmful water. 
What's harmful about it? Is the uh, Asparta, Asparta, Asparta team? That's the bad stuff? I don't know. Like, you never know. Like, it's probably fine. Millions of people drink it. We're not all dying of cancer at a hugely accelerated race. Who knows? But the point is, like, it certainly has no value. Like, cert- you're certainly not getting anything out of it. Yeah, right? yeah it's true. It's in- it is entirely artificial. It's expensive relatively to compared to tap water, right? And it just, like, the idea that every day you have to have some very high number of this commercial packaged product put into your body otherwise you don't feel like i mean coffee is i guess kind of similar but i don't see you know people don't have 12 cups of coffee a day at least i hope they don't right Mm-mm. but the idea that you're gonna have 12 cans of, of anything 12 cans of anything 12 12 bottles of water is bad like it's just it just it, it bothers me that that that's kind of a not that it's an addiction but that it's like a a dependency on a specific i'm much better if someone has a cup of coffee and then a drink with each meal and then like fills up their water bottle like that seems like a more balanced thing than like every day i down you know five coke zero i drink a 12 pack of seltzer a day see that i mean seltzer i understand why that but you you were trying like with the whole soda stream thing where it's like why am i paying for the seltzer why can't i get like the carbon dioxide and carbonate my own stuff maybe it's just more convenient when it's in seltzer if the seltzer is keeping you from having like soda diet or otherwise that's yeah. probably good it's like so right. your methadone thing but <laughs> you know, like you need something bubbly in your mouth to but i feel like that is a thing too because i i didn't have carbonated beverages of any kind growing up and so i don't have any comfort factor of carbonated beverages and maybe just like maybe that is a sort of a nurture thing where if you had a carbonated beverage every day you're for your entire life cutting out the bubbles from your mouth just feels wrong you need something there and you've narrowed it down to the zero calorie no artificial anything still kind of expensive but in a recyclable <laughs> bottle thing yeah i'm straight edge well, does that does that answer your question? Hopefully, assuage your fears a little bit. Well, I mean, I think it explains it a little bit, but I think the other angle here is is cooking. Like we haven't talked about. We, uh, only thing I know about you cooking is that you like to make steaks, and that you. Yeah, was it you with the whole chili in the bowl of rice thing, or is that uh, Roderick who's on that kick? Oh, I. I uh, well, no, John has taught me to always make everything. I always make all of it. So now when I make <laughs> a thing of noodles, I make all yeah, of it. Yeah, I would. I, the, some of the things that you pick up from that boy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe the always make everything rule of thumb for cooking strikes me as a rule that we made by someone of of his stature, let's say, who needs who needs to who needs to consume large amounts of food just to sustain his body. Oh my goodness! Whereas you are you could fit into one of his pant legs, and perhaps you should not make all. Of I so everything. don't want to be in his pant leg. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of room in there. I'm just saying, like he, John Roderick, perhaps should make all of everything. We all we all worry about John in our way. I think. But you perhaps should not make the entire package of bacon every time. Oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. It all it all just fries away. Nothing to that. No, Ugh. no, no. For me, like for for cooking, like I you know I got this sous vide dingus. That's a lot of fun. We got yeah, the, I, the lightsaber. I saw that. the lightsaber is pretty that. badass. Um, that was a great Father's Day gift. And I've been doing more. Like I'll make a corned beef in the uh, slow cooker stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the thing is, one reason, I mean, I love steak. I've loved steak since I was a kid, but I also, and I, I feel terrible about eating steak because like every year I become more self-conscious about like what that does to animals in the environment. And yet it's my favorite food. It gives me energy. It gives me not sleepiness. And if I eat that to the exclusion of other things, turns out I end up losing weight. So that has a, steak has an emotional place in my heart as something that's helped me be less unhealthy in my way in the past. But the cooking it, how much are you into cooking? Like, do you watch cooking shows? Are you trying to find new ways to cook things? Are you seeking out recipes? Or do you have three things that you know how to cook and you just make them over and over? All, all of those things. I, I mainly cook, I, I cook with the same handful of seasonings, spices, 
and oh, the Cincinnati seasonings. Well, you know, I, I'll have some Mrs. Dash. That's what I'm saying. I remember hearing that name come up, and I'm like, or my, 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 my daughter this. and I love accent, or as we call it, secret salt, because we put it in <laughs> Don't Tell Mom. <laughs> she goes, but it's secret salt. Don't tell mommy. She was like, she can totally hear you. And so, um, but I'm getting more into like using herbs for the sous vide stuff. But no, no, I'm a very, I'm very straightforward. And I just, I try to cook to please. I try to make something that the family would enjoy. So I, you know, but this is really boring. We can't go into this too much. But the thing I struggle with there is like, to me, there's a bigger, there is a potentially bigger pattern with the kids stuff here, which is like, you know what it is with the kid thing, where you start out and everything seems fine mostly, and then suddenly you're somewhere you don't want to be, and you're not sure how you got there. So getting to a point where it's like, our daughter is mostly eating a single bowl of noodles before my wife and I have even finished cooking dinner. And that's a giant anti-pattern I'm trying to stop. Because you know your kids get hungry and you don't want to give them a chocolate milk or something, so you give them the noodles or you give them the rice or something like that. And then when we sit down to eat, she's like, when's the ice cream? So I've been trying to really block out dinner as a time, even if we're sitting there watching Gilmore Girls, block it out as a time that we all sit down to eat at the same time. Do you, do you, are you guys a sit-down-at-the-table dinner crowd? Yes, we are a sit-down-at-the-table thing. Um, and cooking, you mentioned cooking things, cooking to please. Uh, pretty much no one in my family likes anything that I cook. Really? Uh, my wife has a few things that she likes. The kids like nothing. Like, they, they literally, <laughs> I, I remember I made them homemade pizza, and they complained about it. I'm like, that's the end. That's it. We've hit bottom. I've literally made you pizza. You can't be helped. Decent pizza. Like, it's not great pizza, but it's fine. It's pizza. And both kids were complaining. I'm like, you know what? I'm never, like, I've given up trying to make food that they like. All we can do is food that they will eat with a certain amount of complaining. Like, I don't know if they're both picky eaters or whatever. It's just, you just got to keep doing it. Like, you just, you just got to endure the complaining and just keep feeding them something. And like, if you're going to condition them to eat something with minimum of complaints, it might as well be something vaguely healthy. Um, wow, that's sickening. And so, yeah, it's like we, we it's the same struggles everybody has. Like, you know, two, two parents who work. What, when do you find time to plan meals? What, you know, what do you make? How can you make something healthy? We avoid for the most part, I think mostly because of my upbringing, a lot of the things that a lot of the traps that people fall into for convenience food uh, gross me out to the point that I just won't do them. Like frozen meals and sort of TV dinner type things. I'd never had one of those before uh, before I met my wife. And I we've had a couple of them since, but in general, we do not try to have any kind of frozen things. Just both of us. Like, we just not, you know, we try to make something, even if it's a bad thing. So we're, we're mostly staying away from the completely prepackaged, take this box, put it in the microwave, take it out, that's what you eat. So the kids don't really know what that's like. We make them something, something, you know, something not great. Even if it's like a hot dog, we cook mm-hmm. the hot dog. And then we take actual broccoli that's an actual plant and make it hot and (laughs) shove it in front of them. Like it's not, is a hot dog and broccoli a good meal? Probably not. But somehow for some stupid reason, it makes me feel better than a piece of plastic that I put in the microwave that comes out. Uh, People, people who give you pushback on something like that, I got no time for like that. Have you ever actually dealt with a kid? If they will eat a hot dog and broccoli, you are so you're either so far, you're so far ahead of the game or you're a liar. Like there's no way any kid that will eat a hot dog and broccoli is better than most kids. Like most kids, eat so crazy and nobody wants to admit it i know we disagree on these things sometimes i think this is another one of those secret shames where parents like to act like of course you know a letitia helicopter marie anastasia only eats you know artisanal paella it's like no like kids are the worst well, some kids are like that though like i have seen kids who eat all sorts of eat these foods that i wouldn't eat i'm like super healthy foods like it's just amazing but like the thing is you get the kid you get if you get a kid who... <laughs> you get what you get and don't get upset. Exactly. Like, you, you don't have a choice. Like, 
it's it's not as if a different parenting technique would make your kid who refuses to eat everything except for insert food that you're not too proud of x will suddenly be willing to have like raw oysters every night and whatever you put in front of them like some (laughs) kids will do that and some kids won't but you do have control over like like again with my kids if they're going to complain anyway you might as well condition them to like something real so like broccoli was our was our choice they're going to complain about any vegetable we started with carrots which is like you know the sort of junior league because carrots are not too objectionable as far as vegetables go. Carrots, raw, carrots are copacetic here. Raw baby carrots, right? That was our big go-to in the beginning. And then we added the broccoli to the mix. There was complaints about the carrots, believe me. The kids don't, you know, my kids did not like carrots. They were like, they don't want vegetables. Why do I have the carrots? Blah, blah, not blah. even we with the hummus? Get, Doesn't help? Oh, no, they don't, they're not into hummus. Although we could have tried that if it, to see if it, both my kids are not are pretty condiment adverse. By the to, way, John, for, this, is a, this is a serious fan service episode. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and so we we did the carrots. You mean they're like hummus? Hmm. And then and then we brought in the broccoli. Lots of complaints. Nobody likes you know kids don't like broccoli, right? We just right. keep feeding to them. Just keep feeding. Just keep put, you know we deal with the complaints. And at this point, they will eat the broccoli. They will still complain. They will still say how many pieces do I have? But they will eat it. And so. If we had chosen something else, if we had chosen like, well, they're going to complain, like if we tried something easier that would have had less complaints, we would have eventually conditioned them to eat, I don't know, say French fries. Like because the, the kids, both the kids were kind of not big on French fries. In fact, my mm-hmm. son still isn't big on French fries. They might have weird kids. Anyway. Wow. And that we would have successfully conditioned them to like French fries. It's better for us to condition them to like broccoli. So I feel like that is a minor victory. That yeah. we, if, if they're going to complain about everything anyway, yes. what you pick to shove down their throat day after day after day, hearing the complaints, fighting with them over how many pieces they have to eat before they can have dessert, like you feel like you're losing. You feel like mm-hmm. oh, we're having this fight. All they want is dessert. All they want to know is when can I have dessert? Taking away dessert is a great injustice. How many pieces of this do I have to have before I can have dessert? Like... That feels like you're losing because you're like, oh, I didn't want to make the food the reward. I didn't want to make the sweet. But, but I, the the minor victory in that probably overall loss is that I've conditioned them to eat broccoli. Like over the course of many years, both of my kids will actually put broccoli into their mouth, chew it, and swallow it. Actual real live broccoli, <laughs> with, well, with a minimum of complaining. And so I feel like the parent, like your parenting choices, like your 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 success criteria narrow drastically depending on the kids you have. Like, I think that's totally. I think it's totally I, normal. I remember hearing something. This is this is some very rogue back channel parenting advice that I heard when my daughter was really young. And she she was never like a super picky eater, but she's a kid, right? But I remember hearing someone saying, you know, everybody has this fantasy of their kid eating moderate amounts of extremely healthy food. Well, you know what? You're living in a fantasy world. If you've got that Really, just really sit with the fact that you are in an extreme minority because not that is not how most kids are. Don't don't beat yourself up. If your kid wants to eat a lot of something and it's not super unhealthy, that is better than many other things. And I still believe that. I don't think my wife believes that, but I do. Like my daughter really likes things like, like I say, like salami. Like is salami the healthiest thing in the world? No. <laughs> we buy our uncured, like nice Genoa salami. It's fifty percent fat, but that's fine. She's a growing girl. She's a kid. I'd rather she have yeah. fat than sugar any day. Yeah, and the fun. fat thing, you know, come on, join join me in the nineteen nineties, John. Like we're we're all we're all good here. But I like, know, but I, I was saying calorie wise, if that's a habit that you get into, that eventually when you're our age and you're craving salami all the time, not yeah, but it's gonna it burns better, man. It burns a lot better than that than that sugary. Well, you know, well, what are you gonna do instead? You can have a yogurt. You can have an <sighs> yeah. apple juice. Well, I you can mean, have one like, of those yeah. things that's like oh. like five teaspoons of sugar. That's where the hippie friends have it a little bit up on us. Is like if if the parents' eating habits are good, does again having to do with like doesn't matter what you say. To them no, you sold me on if, genetics. If, I, I talked yeah, about if, it on if, Roderick this week. You sold me on genetics. 
Well, I mean, like, not, not that... It, I mean, last time we mentioned this, I got people yelling at me like, so you think nurture means nothing? Of course. All I'm talking about is the balance. Obviously, like, if John said that, he means he obviously thinks nurture means nothing. That's right. the natural it, conclusion it, it, to draw. There's a balance, and that my idea of the balance, since becoming a parent, has shifted from where it used to be to slightly more towards the nature, the, the nature side of things. Well, you can certainly and it, see and measure the things that end up being more or less difficult than you expected. And there are certain kinds of things where you go, wow... I guess all the times that I'm asking you to be extremely different than I am is kind of a tough sell. Yeah. And but 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 your habits because you're the one who picks what food you get to buy. So True. the people who live in houses where they're like my house where there was no soda, or if you're in someone's house where there is no ice cream, or there is no like processed sugar, or there is no whatever, kids who grow up in that house like learn to adapt. So those kids are like when they get hungry and snacking, they're gonna go grab some raisins instead of the watching TV and eating raisins if they have a TV or whatever. <laughs> like and you're like, wow, your kid snacks on raisins. Guess what? That's all there is in the house. And they just want something sweet. And raisins is it, right? And it's the same thing with me. I couldn't go get a soda, right? I couldn't go get a Twinkie. I couldn't even get a, a you know, chocolate-covered granola bar because that's not a real granola bar. Like, I, you know, I had what was available to me. And those habits, that you can change what your kid does in that way simply by limiting it. Because the kids can't go out and shop for themselves. They don't have any money. They don't have jobs. They're unemployable. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like they, they only get to eat what is in your house for the yep. most part. So you have a huge influence on that. But then you're like, do I want to live in the house with no ice cream? No. So there's ice cream in my house, <laughs> and my kids know about it, and they crave it for dessert. So it, that's another parenting choice you have to make. Like, your kids are never going to be that different than you are. Because if you think you're going to have a separate set of food for you and them, that is not going to happen. Uh, so that's the other challenge. That's kind of like the payoff of like, if you can change your eating habits to be better before you have kids, then you have a more of a fighting chance against your kids. But if you have in your house a, a a giant bag of miniature Snicker bars, because you love miniature Snickers bars, guess what? Your kids are going to love miniature Snickers bars and they're going to eat them all the time. That is exactly the, the, the line of sanity. Here's the line of sanity. Don't have it in the house if you don't want your kids to eat it. Because if you have it in the house, even if they're not allowed to have it, Think about it. Like, that's that's nuts. Like, if you really want to, I don't know, I can never remember if it's walking the walk or talking the talk. But if you want to be authentic about what you're doing, just don't buy that stuff. You know, that's that is one that I think that makes a lot of sense. And that actually did help me a lot in my trying to improve my health. The other thing. Oh, God, this is fascinating. We are so late, John. Uh, meal planning. I'm a big believer in meal planning. Because, again, I'll say it again. My wife and my daughter, they are nibblers. They like to nibble. I am a mealer. They are nibblers. But meal planning helps a lot. It, you save money. You save aggravation. You can plan ahead. Ladies? Yeah, it depends. Well, so meal planning is also a source of stress in my household. Really? What's that? Because, like, what are we going to have for dinner? Like, uh, we, we know we need to plan something. We don't want to eat badly, right? So we don't want to have, like, oh, let's, we're not going to have uh, hamburgers again. Like, with, in summer season, when the grill comes out, you know, my son is addicted to hamburgers lately. Both kids have always eaten hot dogs. It's really easy to throw hamburgers or hot dogs on the grill. If you have hamburgers or hot dogs more than once during a week, we feel like we're failing here. So we need to find something else to make, right? But then where's the planning in that? Well, the planning is like, we should plan things. We should really like have a plan or whatever, but we can never decide. What do you want? I'm not in the mood for that. I'm not in the mood for that. We just had that. We don't have any good ideas. It's too much work to have recipes. So it's like, it's a feeling of guilt that you're not planning the things and we want to plan them, but neither one of us like is gung-ho about the planning process. Okay, like, I, got, I, got, I got homework for you. <clears throat> for it to be meal planning, it has to be planned, ideally, at least a week ahead of time. So, don't you know, if this screws up your vacation, don't do it now. But you go and you get a stack of, um, of Post-it notes and you write down, what I do is I write down, here's all of the proteins we like, here's all the vegetables we like, here's That'll all the starches. short list. <laughs> well, but that's the planning part because then you can shop for that. You can have it ready. 
the problem is but the, I, I'm part of the problem here too I'm super picky about what I'm in the mood for and the idea oh. of planning week in advance what I'm going to eat is like an impossibility no right and really? then and then yes and then combine with my wife who also can be in the mood for something or not in the mood for something and then you know like it like we for even before we factor the kids in we too are picky and have had a lot of the same meals that we, you know, I, because I know how to cook a whole bunch of different meals. My wife knows how to cook a bunch of different meals. It's a pretty big reper- repertoire. This that sounds we like have, a recipe for disaster. But it's, but it's like, what are we in the mood for? And then it's like, well, what if I'm in the mood for this, but the kids don't want to eat it? Do I want to cook two things, something for them and something for us? We need to find something that we're all going to eat that we're both in the mood for. And like, so the planning ends up being not as well planned as it could be like the good thing mm. is that since we since we have the skills and the ability when we have time that's the other thing the time when we have time we can pull off something that's not too embarrassing but it's like well <laughs> on tuesdays and thursdays as soon as we get home you know we leave work at five get home after picking up the kids by five forty-five. have to leave with one of the kids for an activity at six so we have 15 to 20 minutes to prepare but a meal see, for the kids. This is, this is the crazy john because that's that's why it's planning because uh-huh. that you're looking at the calendar and you're putting that stuff up here's what i would say five to seven days of planning ahead of time and i, I know you don't like to spend money have one of those be a pizza night or whatever delivery you guys like maybe for oh, that, friday that, night that, that counts as a failure even though we do it all the time we feel bad for it okay but if you plan it then it's it's not a failure. <laughs> oh, it's still, like, I mean, we do, we do have in some respects. It's like, we usually have one week. Like, on the weekend, we'll say, we're going to have this on Monday. We're going to have leftovers of that on Tuesday because we can warm it up in 15 minutes. Wednesday, we're going to make something else. And then, like we, like, we have some kind of, mostly our system involves around planning a meal for the day we have time to cook a meal, knowing that we're going to eat the leftovers on the day that we don't have leftovers. <laughs> That's a start. That's definitely a like start. Under, your system is much more regimented. I think it's what we would benefit regimented. from is someone else doing the planning for us. Because like the thinking about the planning and the making the shopping list and the stuff like that just makes both of us like not want to do it. This is super interesting. I have to tell you, I am extremely surprised. I would think, based on what I know about your mind, that the idea of meal planning would be extremely appealing to you. If it was just me living by myself, I yeah. would. I would have... You know, certain certain days that I wanted things and certain days I would just forage. The like, reason I push back is because I think that can all be accomplished in the planning. I mean, you would do this with software. You account for all the things that you need to account for. It's the waterfall model. We're agile now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and your family can have a scrum and a retro. Yeah, we have a stand-up every morning. What are we having for dinner tonight? <laughs> this episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Hover. We love Hover. Quite simply, Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. It's the best place out there for buying a domain name. It's easily my favorite place for doing stuff with that domain name once it's yours. Hover provides a simple, fast, hassle-free method of buying domain names. You don't only be faced with a thousand screens and a ton of add-ons and high prices. Registering a domain at some of the other places feels like nothing short of a gauntlet, like you're running down a hallway and a bunch of frat boys are trying to hit you with a sock full of pennies. That's not what you want. Get away from that. You're not going to get that with Hover. These guys are the best. You just go and you enter the phrase you want or some keywords, and Hover will find the best matches for you and show you a list of all the top-level domains that are available. Hover has all the domains you'd expect. They got .com, .co, .me, but they also have all of those crazy new TLDs you've heard about, like .cologne, .kitchen, .ninja, if that floats your boat. Hover have recently lowered the prices on pretty much all the 200-plus options they have, for example, right now, .com domains are just $12.99. It's a really good deal. And remember, that one low price you pay for a domain name at Hover still includes who is privacy for free on any account that allows it. 
Hover believe you should not have to pay to keep your information private, unlike some other registrars. That's a really nice add-on that they do. Good people. Hover also has fantastic customer support. They have a no-hold, no-wait, no-transfer telephone support policy. So when you call Hover, an actual biped human being will pick up the actual phone and actually talk to you until you get what you need. So much more great stuff at Hover. All the great stuff. They have volume discounts for bulk domain renewals, custom email addresses, storage, forwarding. you got to go check these guys out. So if you're in the market for some sweet new domains, you're ready to move your current domains to a place that treats you like an actual professional human, please try Hover.com. You get 10% off your first purchase, and you can show your support for our program by going to Hover.com and using the special code CORRECTIONS at checkout. CORRECTIONS. Love Hover. You guys got to check them out. They're the best. So our thanks to Hover for making pretty much everything about domain names a breeze and for supporting reconcilable differences. Sometimes my wife texts me in the middle of the day, what are we having for dinner? And I'm like, I cannot even think about that yet. And that, that comes like the creative, speaking of the cooking, the, the creative dad cooking, where it's dad's responsibility to, and, and I don't make it sound like, I, I do most of the, the cooking of meal type things. Like, mm-hmm. there are more, put it this way, there are more meals that I make that my wife likes than she makes that I like. Ooh. Not, and, and the kids don't like anything that I Sick burn. Makes, so it's not, <laughs> it's just, it's just plain facts. Like she, I enjoy having people cook for me. She enjoys having people cook for her, so it's My not wife. like we we are we are competing to have the other person can cook for us because no one wants to do the cooking. Oh, for it's a Mexican yeah. standoff. That's good. Yeah, right. But anyway, um, it's sometimes I'm just there trying to think of like I have to make dinner, right? And we have we have planned nothing, or we planned something, and those plans fell through. So then I have to go into the house, you know, kind of Merlin two AM style, and say, "What is in this house?" That I can turn into something kind of like those reality TV shows, you know, like you get gummy bears, like oh, uh, you, get, you, you get the mystery chopped, box <laughs> chopped, yeah. You know, you got, Ted, Ted gives you the mystery. You box. got uh, frozen chicken breasts, uh, milk, <laughs> and a human skull. white rice and gummy bears. Go. You must use all of these ingredients. I feel like yeah. you really uh, didn't understand the spirit of the challenge. Yeah, that that is that very frequently happens in our house, and we have to just come up with poor something. planning. That's all just poor planning. Yeah, that, there's total lack of planning, or sometimes planning and planning falls through the plan was get this is what we were going to have on this night and we needed these things to be bought but someone couldn't make it to the but store you, don't you talk about that at the retro <sighs> we just want to go to bed after that <laughs> yeah like but but you know foraging i i can forage for myself easily maybe i can forage for me and my wife for the kids like then it becomes who cares what the parents want we have to find something that the kids will eat that is actual food and then so sometimes we end up like tonight we're having peanut butter and banana sandwiches for dinner <laughs> no way with, yes you're kidding with, me with with uh with with a side of carrots and or broccoli <laughs> okay so now here's the thing oh my god that's so depressing are you yep. um is there a like in my case i mentioned my daughter with noodles like noodles or rice but especially noodles um like that's always a no fail thing that she will eat do your kids share any sides that they can be dependent upon to eat uh, there's not much. Like even even the things that are not good for them. Like they will both eat carrots. They'll both eat broccoli, and then I think it basically diverges from that. But point. like spaghetti, they won't eat spaghetti. For the longest time, my daughter was not all that into pasta. Is one of our staple meals. Like we make we make pasta sauce in a big giant, big giant, like the biggest pots we can fit on our stove. Mm-hmm. And we make huge batch of it with meatball, sausage, and sauce. Do you, do you like leave the, the whole, charge on that? You stir the sauce. Uh, I'm, I'm stirring it. Yeah, like the whole nine yards. Like this is from my family. This is something we've always done my entire life. You make sauce, right? And you make a huge amount of it, and then you freeze it in single meal size containers mm-hmm. and put it in the big freezer in the basement. So 100%. you have it, you have it fresh. That thing, and then and that. 
that's one easy meal. One easy, not great help. You know, it's carbs, it's meat, like meatballs, some protein, like you have something else. Like it's not, it's not the greatest meal in the world, but it's a staple of my diet. Like we always have sauce. If we run out of sauce, we say, this is the last one from the freezer. It's time to make sauce again. And that's kind of like an all Sunday type of affair, making all that stuff. That is the only sort of gimme meal that we have. And even that, my daughter was kind of like, like lukewarm on for have the you tried different time. kinds of like fun shaped pasta oh uh, yeah we've got this pasta shape thing covered that was for a while she was into like we would give her the pick of the pasta shapes and she was into picking but then she was into picking but not so much into the eating she's like, coming tricol- a little bit rotini you can't count her to eat that uh like i said the, the 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 shape choices were enticing for her for a little bit we found out she enjoyed picking this picking the shape but then would let the food sit in front of her all and right. just poke at it all right you're but, gonna make this impossible for me i but, think but, you no, need but, to go ahead but it's, they're, they're difficult kids all right but but they will kind of be that but like french fries uh kind of middle of the road on my son does not like potato anything he doesn't like mashed potatoes mashed potatoes is basically just smushy butter like he doesn't even like that. Like, how do you not like that mashed is so potatoes? Weird. What, what kind of crazy person does? Not, it's not healthy for you. It's bad for you. Why do you not like it? Yeah. Doesn't like almost any kind of potato product. Doesn't like rice. Neither one of them likes rice of any kind. Uh, the sort of like ramen type noodles. My daughter will eat. My son won't touch. Uh, like they're they're really weird eaters. So it's very. I like, we don't we're not trying to find things that they're gonna like. We're just trying to find things that they will that they will eat. Right. And so and and that constitute food. Chicken sometimes, steak sometimes, like the protein families, they're hit or miss. Sometimes you have to do something to them. Sometimes you have to not do something to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, grilling season, we can get away with that. Most They'll mostly kind of eat steak. Chicken, sometimes they need it to be slathered with barbecue sauce, whatever. Uh, you know, Maybe we've got like a sous vide machine. We can get them into that. I don't know. They're, they're, they're really weird. Uh, with, with I think I would, take, I would go easy on the sous vide because if you can't plan well, sous vide's not going to be good for you because you need like an hour or two. But that's like that's a weekend thing, right? You'd make it, yeah, sure. and like you know, we'd save all the big, long, time-consuming meals for the weekend. And we always we're just four little people here. We we always make enough food that there's going to be leftovers. So every one meal is at least two for us, sometimes more, especially when we grill. If you just make like a whole bunch of hamburgers, we just re- we could if we wanted to, which we don't, reheat a hamburger for my son every day of the week, and he would eat them. No, why is that? Why is that bad? I don't know. It just seems like not a lot of variety and hamburger is not the best thing in the world. Like you, I, you don't want to like you, like you said, if you let the kid eat whatever they want, they'll eat a ton of it. Like my, my daughter loves pancakes and we make pancakes on the weekends or whatever. And we make so many pancakes that we save a little bit of them from during the week. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And put them in the fridge. But you have to watch my daughter because she will all weekend go into that fridge and pull out a pancake every roughly 25 minutes and eat it. <laughs> and so you have, you have to actually keep your eye on this. It is, uh, well, it's not optimal. What kind of person will eat a pancake every 25 minutes? My daughter will, if not watched. And it sounds like your daughter with noodles. Like, if left to their own devices, every 20 minutes they will go and, you know. So you have to keep your eye on these type of things. And the same thing with the hamburgers. It's just you want some kind of, not that hamburger is probably better than uh, than pancakes, but you want to keep some kind of variety. Here, here's, here's what I'm advocating for. I'm adv- advocating for an inverted pyramid. Not that kind of super healthy pyramid that was made up by all the food industries. I think you need three parts to a meal. You need something that may not be the most healthy thing in the world. It shouldn't be totally unhealthy. You need a lot, something that they will eat a fair amount of. In my case, that might be noodles. I think you need a second layer of the pyramid, which is something they will eat some of that's kind of good for you. So for in our house, that would be carrots or broccoli. And then the, the tip of the upside down pyramid is you need something that you cannot necessarily be guaranteed that they will eat, but you'd like them to try. That I mean, to me, there's got to be sweet spots there. Yeah, we I think your standards, your standards like, are too high is your problem. Uh, well, the thing is, like, we have that, but it's not what you would think. It, like, on my son's plate, that would be, like, steak, which, will, which he will eat, 
right? And then broccoli, which he will eat but complain about. And then mashed potatoes, which we're just begging him to try. A That's tiny so weird. Piece of it. That seems and like messed the opposite. That, like, it seems... It was, yeah, right. It doesn't it doesn't fit into the categories you pick, but it does fit into like the how much the kids will have it. And my daughter would be a, a totally different arrangement, although she is she is more adventurous. A lot of the time, she disassembles her food rather than eating it. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of surgery going on. Like you can give her anything, and very shortly it will be dismembered and meat pulled apart. Loaf, meatloaf. I so, hate meatloaf. Sandwiches. Like sam- the whole idea is is like the bread lets you hold it. Forget it. The bread comes right off that sandwich. Everything is pulled apart. Everything is just like it's, yeah. It's my, just, my my daughter would win the deconstruction challenge if it was sandwiches. Yeah, I don't understand. Like they don't they don't, they don't seem to like hamburgers hot dogs out of the bun they come like she puts condiments on them puts the bun together and then immediately takes it apart i think it's a trust issue <laughs> I I think, she's I the one I... who put it together <laughs> she's she's the one who just shows I, oh yes I, I, there, I see a lot in the stories of your daughter who is i think actually very similar to my daughter i see a lot of similarities in their in their uh strange habits but i, I had a friend who in college who at the time i still knew her when she was 22 she would still eat nothing but white food and corn. She's 22 years old and that was all she would not eat anything that wasn't white. Yeah, the color color and texture hang-ups. Like once, I think it's like if you're a kid and you have, you know, every kid is sensitive about different foods at different times and some adults categorizes it for you with some kind of like mind virus like, "Oh, Jimmy only likes white food." That worms its way into your little mm-hmm. malleable brain. Yep. And Eventually, you become an adult who only likes white food because someone categorized it. Someone had a snappy catchphrase for it's it. It's sticky. Like, it was a sticky idea. Right. My dad's big thing was, doesn't eat anything white and creamy, which is, for the most part, true. <laughs> it, to, to this day, there, there are very few white and oh, creamy you're missing out on so much. Yeah. No, it's... But <sighs> I have to think it's because someone, some adult in his life noticed, hey, it looks like he only doesn't eat foods that are white and creamy. Um and then that's just it. That's, you know, it's it's a handy categorization and it just sticks. And luckily no one ever said that about me. So although no one ever said, hey, he doesn't like seafood, but generally I don't. I, I eat calamari, sometimes shrimp, and that's it. Mm. And tuna fish from a can. <laughs> well, I guess we covered food. <sighs> yeah, barely. We should we should trade recipes at some point because I'm, I, I would enjoy loved, that. I would love to see the recipes that you have. Um I think most of them would be entirely unappealing to me, but I, I, I admit I admit I am intrigued by the idea of a chili from a can, b making something with chili for, from a can as an ingredient. It's like it's like um, conducting an orchestra because you go to your fridge and it's like you hear the sound of the violins. You walk up to the refrigerator and you go, hmm, I wonder what will be in here. And you open it up and you go, oh, look at that. There's a pound of noodles in here because I made all of the noodles. I forgot I have leftover this, noodles. This is a Cincinnati thing. Cincinnati chili. What are you doing? It's not... The cellos, the cellos are tuning up and you go, wait a minute. I've got some Wolf brand chili in there. You take that out. Hang on a minute. You move some things around. You got about a quarter of a pound of leftover ribeye in there that you can cut up. You <laughs> cut that up. Yeah, the closest I'm coming to that is like my own terrible version of like, my base is like sort of, crappy ramen style noodles 
and then I will take anything in the refrigerator, cut it up, and throw it into there. Well, see, that's a start. Here's the other thing, though, John. Is you're, I, I perceive you to be a night owl. You'll only do I this. I totally am. I am a night eater. I'm a night owl. Well, and you only, like, you go, you do these podcasts at night, and it sounds like you stay up pretty late. You play your video games, and it's like, how are you not just eating weird food all the time? It just seems like you would be made to have, like, weird leftovers, and you're not yeah, into that. I, I am. I, the part of your story that I related to is that very often I have a tremendous, incredibly unhealthy amount of food very late at night <laughs> right and then like i have certain meals any doctor it, will tell you it's ideal yeah like, you know right before you go to bed well that's why i'm saying i'm really so late heavy. i need at least two hours to digest that so i have to stay up until 2 a.m that's just um, common but, sense like there there are certain certain things that i make that only i will eat one of them is like a sort of a, a pasta garlic and oil thing but just 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 a a, a mind-boggling amount i would eat so much of that you, you go to like an Italian restaurant, like a nice one. You get like a bowl of that. It's like the size of like a, a baby's, like a baby's first food bowl. Like there's your pasta, garlic and oil. It's like a little, little pasta course and you have it and you're fine. Like, <laughs> and that's maybe, I, I don't know, like one eighth of a pound of pasta. Like, <laughs> and, and that's for one person purchase. <laughs> How me, much do you make when you, when you make a box? How much do you make? The whole box. You make a pound. You make <laughs> a pound. Guilty as charged. A, a pasta. I mean, that's the case where I do the rock. I, I remember I worked my way up to that. I was, I was like, one person can't eat a pound. That's a lot so, of that's pasta, ridiculous. John. So I would take, so I would, I had like a little thing and I would take like a quarter of the box. And then I started a quarter and then I grabbed a little bit more. Okay, maybe a little bit. And I worked my way up to half. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just make the whole thing. That, and not just that. It's a whole head of garlic. Like it's not, it's not close. Oh, it's a whole head of garlic. dear me. Right, and so no one wants to be anywhere near me. How do you how do you prepare how do you prepare it? Do you do you just smash it? Uh, no, slice. I'm a slicer. Slice. Okay, slice. Take, takes a very long time. You use a razor blade. <laughs> I do not do a razor blade. I make them thicker uh, yeah. than that. Uh, do do you then, saute it or you throw it in raw? Uh, you you, you got to saute it in the oil, and so I'll mix it up with you know uh, parsley in there. I'll do prosciutto in there. A little <sighs> squeeze of lemon, like just a tremendous, and then just huge amounts of Parmesan cheese, which is incredibly expensive. <laughs> and then, you mean like real, real Parmesan? Always, uh, always the real stuff. Um, and no one else in my house wants to eat that, and I don't blame them. I would never make it for anyone else, and yet, and yet, I can make that for myself after my family has gone to bed and eat that. And then <laughs> talk about some shame eating. <laughs> I feel no shame whatsoever because I love it. Like, and maybe, maybe I should feel bad about eating that many carbs, but then like garlic and olive oil are good for you, right? That's that's like a Mediterranean diet. That's good for right. you. Yeah. I, I'm. I feel like I am. I am genetically supposed to be eating that. Like that's where my people come from. I am 100% Italian. I should be eating garlic and olive oil. Maybe I shouldn't be having a pound of pasta. At, Maybe you at shouldn't 9 have PM. all of the pasta. Right. Sometimes I have leftovers. Sometimes I stop myself or whatever. But but that's that's why I heard your story. Is like. But I feel no. I feel great about eating that. I feel like. <sighs> I, I think feel it's metabolism. It's awesome. Metabolism. Like, I mean, yes, it probably helps that I'm I'm not, you know, I am putting on weight, but like at the normal rate that I think people put on weight as they age. But I don't feel any guilt about it. And I don't feel like that's unhealthy food. Like, the, I would feel worse somehow. Maybe this is my parents' upbringing. I would feel worse having like uh, a TV dinner or, or a package of Oreos, even no, though no, calorie-wise. That's, that's, that's super interesting. Even though, like, calorie, like, I just feel like this is not processed food. I mean, there's Parmesan cheese, which I guess is kind of a processed food, but, you know, not in the same way that we think of it today. There's olive oil, there's pasta, and there's garlic, which is a plant. And there's <laughs> parsley, prosciutto, like, it's just oh a part God. of a pig that they dried. Like, somehow I feel better about all of that than I feel about 
eating a pack of Oreos, and uh, I don't okay. know if that's right. appropriate. <clears throat> well, then I have to share this with you. Um, this I had a I had a really funny book in um, college called The Modern Man's Guide to Life, and it was kind of a, like a pre life hacks life hacks book. It just had all kinds of little like tips and tricks and rules of thumb, and they had <laughs> a recipe in there that I kind of lived lived on. Uh, I basically drank coffee, sucked down ibuprofens, and made this dish. Okay? Let's see if this sounds familiar. It's a little bit similar to yours. It's called bachelor pasta. Here's what you do. You cook, you, you fill us like whatever, the six quarts or whatever you're supposed to do. You do a jig, big thing of, uh, of, of boiling water. You throw in an entire box of macaroni. Okay? Right before the macaroni is done cooking, you throw in a handful of peas, frozen peas. You drain it. You put in a quarter, a quarter of a stick of butter, tons of salt, uh, garlic powder, not garlic salt, and then you cover it up with uh, Kraft uh, shaker cheese. So that makes me want to puke. Because <laughs> that you may think that's similar. Like, hey, it's just a bunch of pasta. No, it's, it's just close stuff. enough to be everything you hate about that kind. It is absolutely the opposite. It is like frozen I, peas. I'm I'm still with I, you. I there, hear like a court. I hear like accordion music in your kitchen quietly playing at one in the morning. <laughs> in my I mean, house, it's like I Metallica. Like it's got to be like Italian Italian cooking. I love Italian cooking. Every time we go to a restaurant, I want to go to an Italian restaurant. It's boring. Everybody hates it. That's it. I like Italian food. I do not apologize for it. We had lunch. The, like, one, it, the one meal we ever shared was at an Italian restaurant. Right. Like, it's got like, it's not, you know, the whole the whole joke about like Taco Bell where they have seven ingredients or whatever, like where actual Mexican food has many, many more. But anyway, <laughs> Italian food, the variety Italian-American food that we have here, it's not that many ingredients to make a decent meal. Like, you can have a four or five ingredient meal. Oh, it's just totally, they, totally. They, You just have to have them be good. And like, when you have four or five ing- The ingredients are good. Just four of them. Like, and so what's the difference between actual garlic that you slice yourself and garlic powder? It's it's all the difference <laughs> it, it, in the world. It mingles so well with the Kraft it's, Shaker cheese. It's one of the four ingredients. Don't like that's why I'm such an advocate for actual real Parmesan cheese, even though it is insanely expensive and probably this is, terrible. This is in some what Tom Colicchio says on the Top Chef. If you're gonna do a simple dish, all of the ingredients need to be excellent and it all needs to be executed perfectly. And even the execution, I don't think it needs to be that perfect. But, it, but like a three ingredient dish, people kill for those. It's the whole like, oh, family, one skillet a meal. And it's got like seven ingredients and they're all bad. Like it, you'd be better off making a <laughs> pasta thing with three ingredients. And, and same thing, I think, for probably a lot of the, you know, uh, Asian foods of like the noodle type things where you can just get a good broth, a good set of noodles, chop up some meat, chop up some vegetables, throw, uh, a, you know, an egg in there, like it's not that hard. You just have to have decent stuff. And that's why that's why I don't feel guilty about these types of things that I make. That they are simple. They are very similar to bachelor chow. What's the difference between that bachelor chow and mine? <laughs> it's bachelor pasta, it's, but I think I like bachelor chow better. Well, that's from uh, Futurama. Like, oh, okay. Uh, that, 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 yeah, that, <clears throat> it's just something something that that you know men it's, who can't cook whatever right. make. It's you are so close to being a good chef for yourself. Just. Pick slightly different recipe and slightly different ingredients. We got some Parmigiano Reggiano in there. I could I could do some fresh do some fresh cheese on top of the frozen peas. That, that I should do that. I mean, frozen peas is fine. <laughs> like you know, you're not gonna have fresh peas, right? But no. like, but it's just when you go to like when you start getting powdered things or yeah. other kind of like things that used to be food but that were dehydrated <laughs> and turned into a pow- like it's just, when you start doing astronaut dining <laughs> yeah like just you know parsley just buy parsley at the store and chop it yourself do not buy parsley that, that's like dried parsley like it's not that hard what's the difference between dried parsley that you shake out of a jar and actual parsley that you cut up well, uh, the, the real par- the day. real parsley, and you should buy Italian. Do not buy that phony baloney fake stuff. The, you get Italian, the big leaf. Yeah, and you can parsley. just grow it yourself on your windowsill. You're like, right. It's not, I should do that. I should like, do that. 
and and what's that 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 to me from my perspective as my food snobbery as someone who has watched uh, cooking shows since he was a little kid obsessively um that makes all the difference in the world like the same recipe substitute all the ingredients for the processed supermarket version or the fresh one it is it just changes what it is that you're eating and and i not that i would i would not like the taste of the processed version and i would feel bad about it probably because of my upbringing and my mother drilling into my head that processed food is bad but i just feel like that, that you can make decent bachelor chow of any you know american ethnic food or whatever i just happen to know about italian i think there every every sort of american ethnic food family has some simple thing you can make with three or four simple ingredients just buy real actual food, says the guy who won't do meal planning well you know i'm just bad at it i'm like i won't i'm not refusing we are trying we, we are should just we should have failing. a cookbook you and me and on each the facing pages will be two dueling recipes <laughs> the the, the, uh, the sort of midwestern uh version with mrs dash and uh and onion powder and uh <laughs> open can <laughs> and and macaroni macaroni sure like number two macaroni is that what it's called that's what it should be called no, we didn't call anything macaroni did you have this is something i again yeah things i learned when i met my wife um so where i'm from uh, the, the new york metro area there's a million italian restaurants you go to them there's a staple dish that's on the meal that that, that on all all the restaurants uh, all the italian restaurants menus usually kids order it it's on the kids menu it's on the adult menu it's just always there and when i mentioned it to my mother-in-law she had no idea what i was talking about she didn't had never heard the word before but they had the same dish just under a different pasta name what's it called uh and that's like you take tube-shaped pasta and uh you know, uh, and the, and the big slices and cheese, slices of cheese. And mozzarella cheese on top and ricotta cheese mixed in there uh, and you bake it. What is that called? It's similar to something I like a lot called baked ziti. There you go. Baked ziti. That's what we call it. You ba- were, baked you ziti is, is better than lasagna to me. I'll take right. baked ziti yeah. any day. Baked ziti was just on every single, every kid knew it. Kids would call it baked ziti because they're little and can't pronounce things. They want baked ziti, right? Baked mm-hmm. ziti. It was on every single menu. Mother-in-law had never heard of ziti because they call it baked pasta choli. Which is a different pasta shape. Pasta chili is a little more slender. It's uh, slanty ends, uh, ribs on the thing. It's uh, ribs. I forget. I don't know. It's, it's, di- it's hard to find. You know, you don't see ziti in the store like you used to. I don't know if you've noticed this. No, it's there. Like it's there, and it's it's on the East Coast, easy to find ziti. In the Midwest, I oh, don't. Yeah. I, maybe they don't have it, but they have pasta chili, and that and so baked pasta chili is exactly the same meal. It's just they don't call it baked ziti there. Oh, that's a treat. Do yeah, you make, uh, when you make lasagna or you make big ziti, do you use uh, ricotta or do you use cottage cheese? God, come on. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you can substitute it. I think you're trolling me now. <laughs> it tastes pretty much the same. Uh-huh. It's got you a similar consistency and you get yeah. that shaker cheese. So you My cousin actually makes it with tofu. Here's the thing about lasagna. Okay, that's, that's, a, could, that's a literal hate crime. Yeah, I think cottage cheese is worse. But anyway, the thing about lasagna is if you make it right, you can do tofu, and it doesn't matter, because tofu basically tastes like nothing. And if the rest of your lasagna tastes really good, it's yeah, just some the, white texture. The problem, with, the problem with people, uh, there are a lot of people who want to introduce vegetables into various Italian foods in ways that, where they don't really understand the properties of vegetables. Well, there's vegetable lasagna. Well, I mean, there can be, but thing. what I'm here to tell you is, like, a lot of people, like, oh, let's just throw vegetables in there. And it's like... Yeah, they're full of water. Full of yeah. water. It gets mm-hmm. super gross. And people, there's just so many dishes. Like, like I've had lasagna just ruined by somebody who thought you should just throw a crap ton of zucchini in there. And it's like, well, have you really, like, prepared that for this? Yeah, you got you got to salt it and dry it out. Same thing you do with eggplant if you want to eggplant parm or something. There you, you go. Just cook there you the go. Right? That's, that's in the recipe. That's, that's 
it's someone someone is improvising who who a doesn't experience cook and b hasn't watched 20 years of cooking shows to learn that you can't just take a vegetable and throw it or into like the, the way the gonna... pe- people just throwing vegetables on pizza where like some of the vegetables are sweating all over the pizza and the broccoli's black it's like it's just disgusting yeah you ruined pizza congratulations san francisco yeah john i'm concerned i don't think we have time for my topic no, we do not. I mean, yeah. you said it was long. It's it looks like a show worth of stuff. Although you'll be driving that one, but like food, food. I when I heard you talking about it, I'm like, that's something we have to talk about. We I, I just want to say to the listeners, I am so sorry. I did not know this was going to be a kids and food episode. It had to happen, right? It's like you need, you need a war every few years. You know, uh, get out the bad blood. You got to go I to the mattresses. This is useful. I think a, a joint cookbook would be it would be excellent. <laughs> let's let's start small. Let's start with something. What would it be? Maybe like 16 pages. Let's start with something <laughs> that'd be easy to Speaking make. If you ever did, you ever see? Speaking of all the millions of cooking shows, what the hell was the title of this show? Uh, it wasn't semi homemade. It was something along those lines. It was <laughs> it was a cooking show based around a woman who would make things, and she would. One part of it was always a processed food. <laughs> this is what Roderick does. <laughs> Right, you it was start always, it with something and then add other things to it. Right? Yeah, it was semi homemade or something. Like, it's not the title, but it was some pun on like it's not like from scratch food, but we're going to start with like not pop tarts, but close, like something that is a processed, <laughs> completed food product, and then I'm going to make a meal with it. And it wasn't a joke show, and it wasn't a reality show because this was pre reality like shows, a, like a Paula Deen kind of thing. Yeah, before before no, because Paula Deen is more from scratch. No, semi semi homemade cooking. With Sandra Lee. I, I got it. Was that what? Did I get the title right? Yeah, there you Semi-homemade. go. Semi homemade. And it was before they realized if you do this in a reality show format, it'll be much more compelling. But it would just it would just blow my mind. It's like, why would you do this? Just make the real meal. Like, what? Don't start off with a finished food product and then cook with it. Like, never do that. It's like I'm gonna buy a cake and then I'm gonna make something with it. Cake is not an ingredient. Like, <laughs> it's not. It's already done. It's like I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy a pizza from the store and this pizza will be an ingredient in my casserole. No, it's already food. It's done. It's that's it. That's the food. <laughs> Yeah, so you gotta go look at the past episodes of that Sandra Lee show. It was like a horror show. Like you just, it was just, you just watch it wide eyed and go, "This is not happening." What are you doing? Well, I'm trying to think. I mean, like you know, we joke about the Wolf Chili about, but you know, there are certain kinds of consumer products that are better than other kinds of consumer products. But if you're gonna cook something at home, I don't know. I mean, it's not that much harder in some ways if you plan again. If you plan ahead a little bit, you don't have to have like you can still have some salt in it without having all of the salt in it or all of the sugar or all that. It's just it's there's there's something like you just like you say there's something very depressing about taking a plastic pan out of a freezer and and thinking this might be food in a few minutes. It is really depressing. Except for White Castle hamburgers. <laughs> no. I, I mean and you have to be careful about that because if you get in that bias like oh I'm never going to do that or whatever. But sometimes like you ever see those microwavable rice things? Like it's already it's par cooked rice mm-hmm. and then you can It's like a rice bowl. It, no, it comes in like a bag. Like it's basically oh. half cooked rice that you can cook the rest of the way in its little plastic bag and have basically <laughs> rice in much less time than if you cooked it in your rice cooker, right? <laughs> it's not like instant it's called, rice. It's called mommy's having a drink. <laughs> but that type of thing, I feel like, is is better. I feel better about that than like that sort of instant rice type stuff because this is like regular rice and then you're just cooking it the rest of the oh, way. Oh, you're living like, a lie. Uncle Ben's, man. Uncle Ben. Yeah, I, I find that stuff. Anyway, what I'm saying is like if you were totally against having anything frozen, or frozen peas are even better. Like, oh, I'll never have processed food. I won't have frozen peas. Like, have the frozen peas. Oh, I could like, do a whole you, episode you know, on frozen vegetables. There are frozen some, peas, frozen corn. Frozen peas, frozen up, corn. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, even, you know, frozen green beans. I, I like fresh green beans a lot. But there are some kinds of things you must never have frozen. It's just an abortion. Yeah, that, that is true. Although I don't think I've ever had frozen green beans. How's the, um, how's the defrost capability on your microwave? 
for what we use it for, it's good. Like, you have to know your limitations. Like, you can't, for example, one of those I mean, big is it, is it smart? Does it have smart functionality? Oh, no, no. I'm the smarts behind my microwave. My, okay. my microwave is my grandparents' microwave. The screen has never worked. <laughs> right? So you're going blind. you got buttons. You can press them. The screen shows basically, uh, like, hieroglyphics from, like, Lost. <laughs> like, it doesn't, you know, it's a seven-segment displays that light up randomly. Right. Um, it's all about, like, how many seconds, then rotate, then, you know, like, just... Oh, God. We have a we have a really inexpensive microwave, but one thing, it, it, it does what we need it to do very well. And one of the things it does well, it has something <laughs> kind of worse and more diverse that you love. It's called turbo defrost. And so you put the weight, you enter in the weight of this thing. You say turbo defrost. You say this is 1.4 pounds. And we've got a kitchen scale, which we use for stuff like this. And uh, you put it in there. And as long as it's not like a solid cube of something, you know what I mean? Flatter things kind of tend to do better. But anyway, you put put it in there. And it, what it does is it starts it out super slow in terms of power and slowly ramps it up a little bit. Yeah. And it generally, I tend to err on the side of less because I don't like browning the edges of chicken and stuff like that. But it works really well. And to, why am I saying that? Because that's a game changer. Meat is pretty okay to freeze and use, you know? Oh, yeah, we freeze all of them. We buy large amounts, freeze it. But that's the whole thing You've with the planning. You've got a freezer it's in like, your basement, dude. I yeah, can't believe we're not doing more meal planning. Well, that's the thing. Like, you got to remember to take... We we would never defrost meat in the microwave because ours is not the fancy one that you have. And even with micromanaging it, it's always going to, like, not sure. quite work out. Like, there'll be hot spots that are starting to cook, and there'll be parts that are still frozen. And oh, that's a, a, that's, a, that's a tragedy. So, so you have to up. remember to put it on the counter, which is not a big deal. You're like, okay, before you go to work, put the put the food on the counter or put it in the fridge the night before. Like, you, But you need to do that because if you don't do that, we end, you come home and you're like, oh, I forgot to take the thing out to defrost. And now now our planning has, has gone awry, right? And so that's, that's the place where things fall down. But, yes, that is freezing things, defrosting them, having – Having even like you mentioned lasagna, make the big lasagna. There's no way human like you can't eat that much lasagna, right? So you, lasagna freezes. Like you can freeze it before the baking phase and then just bake it to warm it back up. You can freeze it at, like totally freezeable. God, you have it in you. I'm gonna make this my project for you. I think we're gonna work on some homework for this. I could, you know, what I want to get on a Skype call with you and your family, and we're gonna work this out. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna get rid of the kids. Everything will be fine. We, we we did do better before the kids were around because it was just just playing for the two of us, and we we too can get excited about a new recipe or whatever. Now every recipe we look at, we go, oh, but the kids won't eat this. <laughs> when my wife and I, <clears throat> for for whatever reason, don't have our daughter here, uh, we're just completely, we just don't know what to do. We just we're <laughs> just like, I mean, like seriously, we get we get two or three date nights a year, and we're just like, well, let's watch humans and go to bed early. <laughs> And it's like, okay, check. <laughs> you want a glass of wine? No, I'm good. <laughs> Just enjoying the quiet, really. Mm. Like the quiet and the lack of people jumping on your groin. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's a good stuff. 